Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host, Martin Bushby, and joining me are Benno. Hey, man. And James D. Hello, everyone. Hey, how's it going, guys? I mean, uh, last time around, Will Cooling joined us. As, um, you two were, I mean, James, you were gearing up to, and, and Benno was uh, heading out to Oberhausen in Germany. I mean, uh, we're a couple of weeks removed now. I mean, how was it? How was, how was it Oberhausen for you guys? I think probably better for Jamesy than me because I got the uh, the dreaded Oberhausen flu while I was out there. <laughs> it was like it was a cursed weekend. There were lots of wrestlers who pulled out, and halfway through the weekend, it felt like there were fans that were about to pull out as well. So, uh, on Furious, take a curious turn. I didn't feel too great two of the days in the middle, and I was really suffering after it. But I'll tell you what, as a weekend, still worth it. Managed to battle through. Still got a few German beers in. Still got some good uh, good German food in as well. So, all in all, I'd uh, I call the weekend a success. Absolutely, yeah. And I suppose like, the thing about about a weekend like that is it's you know independent of the wrestling like and even if the wrestling is 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 not good and you don't enjoy the wrestling side of it like for me anyway like the whole social side of it is is a great thing like you know what i mean like for for me personally like it's 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 difficult for me to get away like with my family commitments and that kind of thing like so to have three or four days in a row where i'm, I'm not woken up in the morning by by kids jumping up on top of me in bed at six in the morning is is, is, a, is a, that alone is a great relief like I had I had a lot of people kind of walking around complaining about how tired they were because of all the late nights and I was like I was getting to stay in bed till 10 o'clock 11 o'clock in the morning like and to, to me like to me that's the best rest I've had in about three or four years like so I was kind of I was the owl full of walking around full of beans when all the young people were dropping around me like so I felt great for the whole weekend to be honest and somehow managed to survive the Oberhausen flu as well I'm not sure entirely sure how I think again because I have kids maybe my immune system has just um just ramped up and uh, just immune to all viruses and bugs and infections at this stage like but yeah as i said a great weekend very very enjoyable and yeah as i said thankfully the the the, the wrestling after maybe a little bit of an iffy start kind of picked up and we had plenty of talking points i suppose coming out of it well, um, I mean, um, Benno, you mentioned that Oberhausen flew there, and I certainly read Arnold Furious's uh, blog about his, his weekend there, and he seems to be affected by it worse than anybody. It always seems to happen at these like big wrestling weekenders that uh, everyone comes back and then they're you know recovering for about a week because they've picked <laughs> up some kind of bug. I feel like everyone needs to start packing some hand sanitizer with the for these, uh, <laughs> these, these so. big weekends now and there's all the big group of people everyone's shaking hands meeting new people for the first time and everyone comes back with the flu so yeah maybe uh <laughs> maybe uh, i mean before we get into the wrestling i mean there was a bunch of other things around the weekend i mean you had a media lunch there was obviously um the two sarah's uh bowling event that's become um you know quite the tradition of these wxw events um well, some of the highlights of some of the uh, non-wrestling stuff that you got up to over the weekend, Benno. Yeah, I mean, you named it there. The uh, the Oberhausen Open is always uh, a big one. Uh, I'm going to blame the Oberhausen flu. I didn't do too well this time in the, uh, the bowl. <laughs> and after finishing uh, second as far as teams went last time, I was nowhere. But I think part of that was the fact that I was uh, on the same lane as J.D. Drake, who's a... Uh, He's a bowling ball of a man, never mind, a, a great bowler. He absolutely destroyed everybody on my lane and made us all look really pitiful. But it was such a great event. I was right on the next uh, lane from James here uh, and his lot. And we were uh, plenty, plenty of laughs had, plenty of uh, drinks had. And yeah, a great time just mixing it up with uh, with fans and wrestlers. It was on the uh, the official schedule, wasn't it, this time, Jamesy, which was cool. Yeah. It was a proper part of the weekend and 
yeah, it really did feel like it. It's like a, one of the, the best parts of the weekend. If anyone ever goes out, it's worth coming, even if you can't get on a bowling lane, just to, to hang out and uh, have a few beers with it. And you never really know who's uh, quite going to turn up there too. So that's always a highlight for me. I don't know about you, Jamesy. Absolutely. Like uh, it feels like very quickly, nearly the, the, like the bowling usually on these WXW weekends, the bowling usually happens kind of after the show on the Friday night. And then the Saturday night is usually the official after party. And for mm-hmm. a long time, the after party was always kind of the social highlight of, of these weekends. But I really feel like the, the bowling almost has become the the event that everybody mm-hmm. goes to. And it felt to me like a, a lot of people kind of like myself, I didn't even bother going to the after party. Um, I, I'm too old for that kind of thing at this stage. I retired to the hotel bar with a few of my salty veteran friends from Ireland and we had a few quiet drinks and just discussed the wrestling that had happened so far and that kind of thing. But it really feels like the, like the bowling event has become the most go-to social event and like just great credit to the two girls, to the two Sarahs, like the amount of work they put in for no okay. financial gain or anything like that. Like, and like, I, I know firsthand from chatting to them that it's, it's, you know, they mightn't show it and they mightn't say it, but like, it can be a very stressful thing to organize. Like, is it, was it something like 96 people in, into, into teams uh, and to get everybody organized, make sure everybody pays up, put people in teams that they want to be with their friends, you know, make sure that people who are going, who maybe don't know anybody are involved and put them on lanes beside each other where they might know people and that kind of thing. Like it's the work that they put into it is phenomenal. Like, and just to give them a shout out and a big thank you from everyone for, for all the work they do for it as well, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think anybody who's tried organizing uh, an event with more than five people will understand like what a oh, yeah, pain exactly. in the ass it is. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. definitely hats off to them. And um, I mean, um, should we get, get go into some wrestling? I mean, um, this is the second biggest event of the German wrestling calendar, um, World Tag Team Festival. And um, obviously, you guys are there live. At floor is yours. If you want to discuss some of the highlights and lowlights of, of the weekend of wrestling you you attended. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were talking ahead of time. What are the what are the big stories kind of coming out of this weekend? And to me, one that uh, I'll probably end up just giving the floor to James on was the uh, the weekend of Timothy Thatcher. Uh, I tell you what, like it, we talk we talk about how great this weekend is, and it is. And again, if you're someone who can't afford a, a WrestleMania weekend and you want something a bit closer to home, and you, I mean, you get it can be two to three shows a day on a on a carrot weekend it's well worth traveling out but you also feel like you're traveling out to like the you know it does feel like the hometown of timothy thatcher like you if you if you make it you want to the, the lucky few go to the uh the inner he- inner circle show on a thursday and that is a wxw show not a chris jericho stable uh you get to <laughs> essentially watch wrestling happen in tim's house where tim thatcher yeah is you know trains at wxw and uh lives uh, with wxw as well you're, you're so close up to the to the action and getting to see uh, somebody like that in his literal home venue so cool but like the the weekend as a whole it felt like a, a tim thatcher weekend and there might be people you know listening to this who've seen tim thatcher maybe in evolve or they just know him from reputation or don't like the Tim Thatcher style, but I tell you what, you go out to Oberhausen, and I was right where there with Jamesy in the uh, in the Tim Thatcher fan club because what a weekend for him! Uh, I don't know where you want to start, Jamesy. We could probably start the headline thing for him is him winning the WXW uh, World Title uh, in an incredible match with Bobby Guns. Uh, he was again, you know, even just coming out for his match, you know, as his music plays and the fans are all chanting, "There's only one Tim Thatcher," and it living in a Thatcher Wonderland and it's just going absolutely crazy. You can't help but get 
swept up in it all. Um, and again, you know, the Tim Thatcher style is, you know, I know James, he's a huge fan of. I, you know, I like it, don't love it. But, you know, all of those kind of misgivings, maybe even on my side, go away when you see him in an atmosphere like this and work a match like this against Bobby Guns, who was great for his part too. But yeah, when you talk about a, a crowd living and dying by Tim Thatcher, that's what this was. Uh, every moment, every every tease of, you know, Thatcher trying to grab his, uh, his double underhook suplex or, you know, they, they didn't do a lot of near falls near the end of the match, but the near falls when they came, every moment of it, everybody in that in that place in, in Oberhausen, everybody there in the Turban Hall was, was just there with Tim Thatcher, myself included. And yeah, when he did win the belt, uh, I heard Will Cooley mention that on his podcast and I've mentioned it before as well. Me and him were at the top of the stairs in a cooling corner near the uh, the press area. We were jumping up and down, hugging each other. That Tim Thatcher had won this WXW uh, title. It was uh, an emotional roller coaster of a match and just uh, as far as a weekend goes, is showing you know what Tim Thatcher can can offer wrestling and how important it is to WXW. I thought this was an absolutely banner weekend, Jamesy. Absolutely, yeah. And I think when I think about Tim Thatcher, and I mean it, it's no secret to anyone that you know he's someone that I, I'm a massive fan of. The one thing I think about more than anything is respect, and he's respected by everyone you know he's respected by fans he's respected by his fellow wrestlers and it felt like this match and this weekend was almost a culmination of his entire career of wrestling you know what i mean like and they they just just tonight they put up a video on youtube um of him being interviewed by alan and andy jackson literally right after he's won the title like he's literally left the ring and gone up to the commentary area um still covered in sweat still covered in blood still out of breath and he talks about wxw being his home and he talks about the sense of belonging he has in WXW. And like, I've been going to Oberhausen now for this, the third trip I've made. So I've kind of gone Karras twice and this trip. And Thatcher, nearly every time I've gone, has always been the guy who's been the most over. And I've always been kind of baffled and thought, why isn't, like, and he'd, he'd kind of lose maybe in the first or second round of Karras or, he, you know, like last year of Karras, he lost all his matches. And it kind of felt like you have this organically over babyface on your hands who's who has who has never wavered from you know he, he talks in that interview with alan about i kind of i won this title almost in spite of myself and i often think tim thatcher's nearly his own worst enemy you know what i mean like he steadfastly refuses to go away from the style that he works even though the style that he works isn't for everyone like you said it yourself benno like there are a lot of people who who find his style boring or who find his style uninteresting and you know, a lot of wrestlers will tailor their act and tailor their work to kind of pander to fans and to give fans what they want so they can sell more merch and they can kind of get more popular and get more bookings and that kind of thing. Like Tim Thatcher doesn't even have a smartphone. He he does. He, he, I have heard rest. I have heard wrestling promoters say he's a difficult man to con. You know what I mean? He, and like what he said himself there in that interview about, about he. He's become the champion there almost in spite of himself. But like the man stayed true to his principles through his whole career. He never kind of compromised them for anyone. And he found a home in WXW. And like those European fans and those German fans, I go back to that word again, respect. He has, they have the utmost respect for him and his wrestling style. And like 
that chant, there's only one Tim Thatcher. Like I'll never forget when when he came out for that match, for that main event. And the big concern that I had was, would we get the dueling chance again that, that we'd had at Carrot the year before? We had a tag festival this time last year and that we had at Carrot. And I felt, I know we kind of had a little debate about that before when we were on this podcast. I felt it had become something contrived and I felt like it had become a thing where fans were nearly taking over the show and that kind of thing. And the way that they found to break that chanting and to break that kind of thing from the fans was to put the guy in the main event who's the most over guy in the company, the most beloved guy in the company. The fans had no interest in chanting to get themselves over for that match. They only had interest in chanting for Thatcher. And like... It would make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up to hear the chanting. Chanting, the minute it it became apparent he was coming out, the chanting started. People sang that song throughout his entrance song. When the music stopped, they kept singing it. When Bobby Gunn's music started, they were still singing it. And like, it's it's (laughs) just... Yeah, it's 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 but it's such a thing to behold. Like, and at those moments, like that's that's where making the, the trip is worth your while. And that's little moments like that are where you're glad you made the flight, you know, and like we will talk later about maybe things that weren't as good on these shows and times where you kind of question what you're doing with your time that you've flown all the way over for these shows. But like that match alone to me would justify the trip. You know what I mean? And um, I was kind of wary about people were asking me, well, you know, what star rating did you give the match? And I was kind of saying like, I know it was a good match, but I was so emotionally caught up in the match and so just dying for him to win the match that I couldn't get any handle on the quality of it but I've watched it back since like and it actually is an excellent wrestling match as well you know and I, I would nearly go 4.75 on it because um, you know it, it, it's one of those moments where you give the crowd what they want there's a great match there's emotion there's drama there's like there's a blade job there's and, and the other thing as well that, that I just want to talk about very briefly with Thatcher is it's a criticism that he gets from people that, that he's lacking in charisma and that he's lacking somehow in emotion and like that is you you go to Oberhausen and watch him in that match or watch him wrestle live in Oberhausen and the opposite is true he's actually in his own way he's nearly the most charismatic wrestler on the planet because all he has to do to rouse the crowd is clap his hands twice and he can get them chanting again all he has to do when he's kind of on the mat and somebody has him in a headlock is tap his boot on the mat once or twice and the whole crowd in unison starts to clap for him. His facial expressions, like the man's facial expressions are, they must be the best and they must be up there with a Minoru Suzuki or someone like that. Incredible facial expressions like there's moments in his matches where like, we, you know, the, the, he had a match with Jonathan Gresham on the sun, on the was it this Sunday? And uh, yeah, and Gresham, Gresham was doing little things at the start of their match where he was almost irritating um, Thatcher by kind of dragging him to the ropes and trying to delay and stall and upset him. And Thatcher just gives the crowd this kind of look. And it's 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 like it's like you're in on the joke with Thatcher. He's kind of it's almost like he's kind of perplexed and upset and disappointed in Gresham. And he's kind of looking at you going like, what is this guy playing at? And you you feel involved. And that's just a glance that he gives the crowd. You know what I mean? So anybody who says that Timothy Thatcher has no charisma. Like I, I just can't take that opinion seriously anymore because it's 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 complete nonsense to me, you know. Um, and I don't know. Did you want to talk a little bit about his matching ambition, maybe Ben or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just want to. I mean, just echo those points. Like that was a, a one thing I noticed. Whether I was right up at the the ring apron, like I was for ambition, and like you were, or if I was, you know, up in the the press bit, those specials from Tim Thatcher and his body movements and, you know, his, just seeing him like a, his face a crimson mask against Bobby Guns and like you say, pulling those 
they are like Minoru Suzuki style, you know, faces of Bobby Guns, that face of anger, and then that face of relief when he when you know he finally does win the title. I was also lucky enough to be close to him when he uh, when he did go upstairs for that interview you mentioned with Alan Farrell. Uh, I got to stand and watch that take place right after the match. His face still crimson, uh, cutting a you know a solid promo. You know he's not the, he's not the worst promo in the world, Tim Thatcher either. But you're right, like it, for anyone who's saying. He hasn't got personality or hasn't got charisma. I just, yeah, I'm guessing that you've, one, you've not seen Tim Thatcher recently, and two, mainly you've not seen him in this setting as well, but he has got that 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 in his locker now. You know, he's come a, a long way, you know, from, you know, those days three, four years ago where people would criticize him for that stuff. Yeah. I don't think it's a valid criticism anymore because I think as well as his great in-ring work, I think people are, are living and dying with him. One, you know, through the great work of people like Bobby Guns, who's in there as a heel in that WXW title match, who's, you know, work shouldn't be forgotten. He was fantastic. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's yeah, also, exactly, yeah. It's the personality and the charisma of uh, the Thatcher that, that, that pulls you in as well um yeah i thought i think that's a, a real element of his game that's uh pretty much overlooked these days but yeah if you do want to talk ambition i think that's a another great place to go for for, for world timothy thatcher festival because you know getting to see him in there he wasn't uh in the tournament this year was he, he was in there in a in a special match just uh they call it a super fight don't they he was in there uh, with only Larkin, you know, a man he's uh, he's very familiar with, and yeah, I could I could see you across uh, the way, Jamesy, on the uh, <laughs> on, just next to the ramp, uh, banging away and loving every. I was to be honest, I had one eye on the match and one eye on you, just enjoying how much you were enjoying this thing. Uh, but being there and being that close to see, you know, again, a style that might not be for everyone, but getting to see two pros at the style go at it for me, that was the. The big highlights of the uh, the ambition card. Uh, I was going to say I don't know about you, but I, I think I do know about you, Jamesy. <laughs> yeah, like uh, t- you know, like Biff Busick or or Oni Larkin and Thatcher have a long history, and I suppose that they're probably two guys we thought we would never see wrestle again. And to get to see them wrestle, and to get to see them wrestle in this setting, and like for anyone who hasn't been to Ambition before. Ambition to me is, is a very, very special thing. Like it, it usually only happens on Cars Weekend, but but, but they ran a, a kind of a special event this year, a tag festival as well. It's um like these big these big events happen in, in pretty large rooms and arenas, you know, and it's it's like I always talk about about the Turbine and Halla. It, it's a venue that, that that somehow manages to be a big arena when it's full. Yes. And also manages to be a small room when there's only a small crowd there because um, and ambition usually attracts maybe only a small fraction of, of the crowd that come to the big evening shows and that kind of thing. But it's it's just a lovely atmosphere to watch wrestling in, you know, like everybody is 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 kind of they're hushed, but not in not in a way that they're not interested in the wrestling. Everybody's engaged in the wrestling. There's not the kind of chanting that you would hear at other shows that there's not really the murmur of conversation you might get between people at other shows. Everyone is purely focused on watching the guys wrestle like and things like a big strike or a big slap will get a huge reaction because, you know, they're they're not things that are happening very often in these matches. You know, like it it, it warms my heart to see a large group of fans appreciating mat work and appreciating when a guy does, you know, a nice escape from a move or a really good takedown or something like that, you know. Um, And like personally for me, that those shows have always been nearly the highlight of my trips to Germany. You know, I I just I just really, really enjoy watching wrestling in that atmosphere. Um, And like, yeah, like like Thatcher and Larkin, often the, the only thing about the super fights on those shows is in a way they, they're they usually like two, two 
two top class performers in them. And the unfortunate thing is they nearly kind of overshadow everyone else on the show in a way. Like you nearly feel sorry for the guys who are in the final because like I, I talked to Daniel McAbey about that in the, in the interview, like saying, God, if you go to the final, which which turned out to happen in the end, you realize you have to wrestle straight after Tim Thatcher and Oni Larkin. Like, and what an intimidating prospect that is like for a wrestler, you know? Um and yeah, like that super fight was phenomenal. Like, like the actual, the thing I remember most about that super fight was just a, just, it, it's kind of hard to see sometimes because everybody's gathered around the mat and that kind of thing. But there was one moment right in my line of vision where um, I think it was Larkin had a headlock on Thatcher. And it might be the best headlock I've ever seen. Like, and that seems like a strange thing to to kind of take away from from a tournament. It might be the best damn headlock I've ever seen in my life. Like he, the way he had that thing cinched in, and the struggle that that they had to kind of get out of the hold and that kind of thing. Like, and when, when you were going away from from a match, remembering a headlock, like t- to me, that's that's nearly the pinnacle of pro wrestling. Like when you can get people so engaged in your wrestling that something simple like that is what people take away from your match, you know? So yeah, like, like ambition is just, is just my wrestling heaven. Like, and if you're a fan of technical wrestling and you have it within your means to get to one of these shows, like it honestly is worth your while to get to see an ambition tournament. I think. That's it. You pop in for a headlock and like, a, a, a big slap like was the finish for that match yeah. can be a, yeah. knock, a knockout with a slap yeah <laughs> brilliant and that it was a great way to put Tim Thatcher over as well that's what I love about like the in- intimate atmosphere of it obviously we're going to talk later in our new segment about Tetsuja and that's probably it is the closest thing you'll get to an ambition card uh, over here so don't sleep on that either but yeah it is just there's something special about that and when it's done right it's done great I mean as far as like the, the actual tournament goes itself you mentioned uh daniel mccabe made the uh made the final um against a kid who was replacing uh, damon moser um did he have flight issues was it or something like that uh well didn't quite catch the the announcement why it wasn't there a kid obviously it's been on uh nxt uk's tapings that weekend was supposed to be in the tag tournament which we'll talk about a little bit uh but was a good surprise person here and yeah you know i i, I think daniel mccabe's story throughout this tournament, you know, obviously was a guest on this podcast, as you mentioned there, Jamesy, and is someone I think we're all rooting for, um, one based on that and two based on his work. Um, but I think he, you know, he came out of this a star. I would have liked, would have liked to have seen him win the whole thing. Uh, it was kind of like, it's like that McMahon booking, isn't it? A kid coming in as the surprise and then, yeah. and then going all the whole way. Um, I mean, as far as negatives go, I didn't like the way he won. <laughs> the his Spanish fly, was it? Into a, was it into an armbar? A Spanish yeah. fly to the shoot yeah. fight? I haven't seen that get enough criticism. I just want to repeat it again. It was a Spanish fly in a super <laughs> shoot fight. You're not getting that in UFC anytime soon. Uh, I think that was, that was really a really a put a bit of, for me it put a bit of a damper on the main event, but all in all, still a very good match. And I thought both a kid and Daniel Machabe had an incredible tournament, James. Absolutely, yeah. And again, like you talk about personal highlights and that kind of thing. Like a number one for me to get to see Maccabee wrestle in person. You know, like this guy that I've—it's no secret. Like we talked on the podcast, I've championed him for a long time. I believe in him. I believe he's good enough to be on these big weekends and these shows like, and it's made me sad in the past to see guys that I know he he is better than kind of get put on shows and him kind of getting left behind and that kind of thing. So to see him over here on this stage, like, and I really feel like he rose to the occasion as well. You know, like I, um, there was a real authority about, him. you know, like I, I, one of the things 
I kind of often worried about him was like he, he kind of he's very much in his comfort zone in his own promotion. He's the top guy. He calls the shots. You know, I, I would imagine he has quite a lot of sway in terms of the matches he gets to put on and that kind of thing. You know, and when you take a guy like that kind of out of a small out of a small promotion and kind of put him into a, a bigger place where he's no longer the top guy, you worry about whether they sink or swim. Like, but to me, this is the best I've ever seen him. You know, and, and like we will always rave about Maccabee's mat work and and his his shoot style stuff. And and all that kind of thing. The big thing I took away from 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 ambition was like how how much his striking has improved. Like there were multiple times in those three matches he had where he was he was popping the crowd with forearms, and he does that wind up punch that that Munanori Sawa does uh, that popped the crowd. He kind of teased it a few times and finally hit it. I think in the, either the semi final or the final. Um, like he really did himself justice. You know what I mean? And like you, I don't know if, if you saw me at the end. Like every time he won a match, I was punching in the air with delight because I got to see him wrestle again kind of like you know what I mean and um, but like he wasn't the only one in that tournament I, I thought um, Alexander Dean from Ireland uh, like he's an Irish wrestler who, who doesn't really get on OTT cards mainly wrestles on small shows around the country someone who's always been kind of regarded as a solid hand. I thought he looked great in his first round match here against Dominic Carini, like uh, the, probably the best he's ever looked like. I mean, there was multiple people from Ireland going up to him afterwards saying like, this is, you should do this style more often, like make this your general wrestling style because he really, really looked great. You know, um, I thought Carini did great. Like I thought the semi-final with Maccabee was excellent. Like to two guys who are really good friends and you could tell that they have kind of chemistry outside the ring, the way they laid into each other and that kind of thing. Uh, Scotty Davis, you know, um, first time I've seen Scotty outside OTT again, you have to say the kid has serious star quality. Like, you know, you see him walk out there. Obviously, he got the big reception from the large amounts of Irish people that were there. But he is mm-hmm. such a star, you know, and it, sometimes it takes seeing him outside his home promotion again, like almost just to realize it, you know, and he, he had a match on the main card later that evening again. And you can just see the star quality oozing out of him, like and a guy who literally he improves every time I see him nearly or he does something different every time I see him. Like the match he had with A-Kid in the first round, that was a brilliant match, like the first round of ambition. It, it was like, like, you know, those UFC fights with the very lighter guys where it's really fast paced and they just tear into each other. Like, and it felt like they were nearly taking liberties with each other. It felt like they kind of, they nearly got a bit pissed off with each other. And I love seeing that in a shoot style match where, where, where you're kind of blurring the lines between what's real and what's not. Like they both are really fired up at one point and slapping each other and that kind of thing. And like, to my mind, this overall was one of the best ambition tournaments I've seen in person. Like, I think some of the older ones are maybe the, the ones that I've only seen on tape are really top class when you had the likes of Zack Sabre Jr. and Alistair Black in them and that kind of thing. But in terms of ones I've seen in person, this was really good. Even Russ Taylor, like a, a guy that I, I must, I must confess, oh my God, like where has he been hiding for the last 10 years? Like in terms of a look, like mm. a, a guy who's not got, a, not got an ounce of body fat on him, like he's got that Timothy <laughs> Thatcher physique, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like a supremely good technical wrestler, you know? So like they called it the wildcard edition of Ambition and like it was kind of, it was the wrestlers themselves that kind of put themselves forward to be in this Everyone who flew over, like, did themselves no harm whatsoever. Like, and if I'm WXW, I'm looking at that field and I'm picking out quite a few of these guys to bring back for Carrot next year because they're they're independent guys. A guy like Russ Taylor has no ties to anybody. You can safely book him nearly at this stage for next March. You know what I mean? So, like, just as 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 an enterprise on WXW's behalf, where they invite wrestlers to kind of put their name forward, you could only say it's been a massive success. 
Definitely, yeah, that's it. It was uh, again a lot of a lot of new faces there. We got to say, I got to see, got to see sexy Kev. Uh, <laughs> serious Kev, serious <laughs> Kev doing shoe fighting. Nice months of the year. So uh, frequent guest then on this show, Andy Ogden for uh, that chant yes. for him. Yeah. Getting to see him with a different coat of paint, and yeah, getting to see Scotty Davis in an environment like this where he looks so good, and getting to see Akid, you know, Spanish fly aside. I'm never going to let that go. Do uh, his <laughs> style again. Uh, I very much enjoyed as well. And it was yeah, it was a. Again, an eye-opener for me on some wrestlers, like you say, like a Russ Taylor who I hadn't seen much of, a Dominic Green who I've been cold on in the past. Uh, getting to see him in his, this is this is a Dominic Green environment if there ever was one. And I thought he looked great here too. Um, I think I just about beat him on the bowling as well by a few people <laughs> on my legs. So that was another uh, Dominic Green highlight for me for the weekend. But I suppose, I mean, James, we were talking positives and negatives of the weekend. Yeah. We managed to, uh, to put it off this far. <laughs> the actual tag festival uh, of the weekend uh, it was a tag tournament this time rather than the the normal round robin style uh, that that they that they do in WXW uh you know we went to a couple of the press events didn't we where we got to uh, to grill uh, the likes of Tassilo Young and the people uh, behind uh, WXW about you know what goes what goes into to planning an event like this and uh, there's Bergendahl outright said you know with the amount of teams that got pulled out this weekend in a way it was easier for them to stitch the tournament back together with it being a knockout tournament rather than having to deal with the mathematics of of round robin but i tell you what as far as a a case tournament it really was i mean eddie kingston got pulled the uh, the week of the show through a family issue like i said a kid and carlos romo couldn't make it out there walter cancelled off the weekend mark davis got injured so Aussie open got stripped of the wxw tag belt so it probably should be underestimated the amount of hurdles they had to jump Bandido as well. well. That was a big big reason I was going out, was going to see Bandido, Flamita teaming up. That was something I was thinking, yeah, I'd love to see a weekend of that. I wanted to see them have a weekend like Penta and Phoenix had, you know, this time last year. But, you know, I've got myself, you know, I spoke to you throughout the weekend, James, but I don't think I got your final thoughts on how the tournament shaked out because in the end, it was kind of all lead up to a to a big angle. That's a, another big news story coming out of this that we we should talk. Or I don't know. It, what, what obviously we should again underline the problems that they had going yeah. in. Uh, what did you make of it as a as a tournament? Once they they did put those pieces back together and uh, did what they they could with the with what they had. Yeah, like it, it was a real mixed bag, and like um like on night one, I stood beside you on the balcony for most of the show and. Mm. I think WXW themselves would be the first to admit that that night one as a whole show was below the standard that they expect of a show on these marquee weekends, you know, and in fairness to them, you know, the standard for these weekends is very, very high and it isn't often they don't deliver, but like that, that did not deliver. And like, it was really the tournament matches that dragged it down more than anything. Like there was pretty bastards against JAA, not a great match. Couldn't like, (sighs) Thinking back, I can't remember much about it. The Purge Club against Shad and Pryder, like that, that, that was. I think if you listen, you can still hear Pete Bouncer going for that super kick that he never quite nailed in that match. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah, like that, that was a downright bad match. And I mean, um, the Purge Club did themselves no favours with that match. Like, and um, that was poor. Workhorse men against anti fund police, forgettable. David Starr and Norman Harris against the Crown, forgettable. Arrows of Hungary against Violence is Forever, 
was decent. You know, the highlight of it was with that big dive that they did off the balcony, which is no mean feat. And But that again, that's probably the only thing I remember about that match. And the main event of the show, Birch and Larkin against Thatcher and Veit Muller, was good. But like that was a match that I was looking at to kind of blow my socks off. And I, I don't think it did. I think it was good. Like it was maybe a three and a half star match when I was hoping for something well beyond four stars, you know. So um, it, the tournament got off to a poor start. And I mean, we were all talking after night one about God, like is is if this is going to be the level that the weekend is at, then they're in trouble. You know what I mean? Um, I was really and, worried. Like I thought like yeah. the, I mean, I get it. I get that you, you know, you, you dealt a bad hand with all the the teams dropping out, but you know, you go through those those night one matches, and first the pretty bastards go over JAA, and I found out later, you know, absolute Andy was carrying an injury, so maybe I'll get that a little bit. Uh, and obviously they have bigger plans for the pretty bastards later on. The Page Club going over Schadenfreude. I know they're trying to build a story with, with Lucky Kid and the Page Club, but my God, how Lucky Kid's stock has fallen since Carrot that he's, he's feuding with these bums because, you know, I don't say that lightly, you know, I want to, I really enjoy the whole Pete Bouncer angle, you know, at Carrot last year with the whole, all of the rise stuff and the whole venue cheering for him. Like him and Ivan Kiev could not look worse. Like the Page Club, if, if people listen to this, haven't seen it, imagine the page movies cross with bullet club uh with skeleton gloves that's basically what they are they come out in page masks they have knockoff bullet club t-shirts and it's just the most low rent thing uh you'll see it's the t- i think for them the pretty bastards they're the kind of team arrows are hungry even i might even group in this lot they were dealt a bad hand and i think they decided okay let's get some young teams over but i, th- I do think the tournament would have been stronger if maybe a couple of the star teams like a schadenfreude maybe survived a little bit longer throughout the tournament just with the the lack of lack of names there and yeah i kind of came out of night one just yeah not hugely enthused that they, you know glad that i was out there for the for the big weekend and, and getting to see everybody but yeah it was a it was a particularly poor night and like you say that I don't think that main event particularly saved it either, really. Uh, it was a no. three and a half star tag. And, you know, I think they were they were leading a lot on Birch and Lorcan, I think, as the outside star team to maybe b- boost up the star power here. But I'll be honest, you know, at the start of the night on night one and night two, when they announced all the teams, I didn't think they got that much of a reaction. And I, if anything, you know, the teams I'm, I'm, I'm you know, slagging off here, the Page Club are pretty bastards, probably got better reactions than them even. So I think that kind of showed that they went coming in at least uh, a big team there. So, yeah, I think there were definitely a lot of work warning signs for this tournament at night one. Absolutely, yeah. And, like, you talk about the Purge Club and I, you know, I find it hard to believe that what happened to them on night two was the original plan. Like, I, I have to think that, that some plans were torn up after night one and that plans were changed because... In fairness to WXW, how they kind of dealt with the Purge Club on night two was good. Um, for people who haven't seen it, basically they squashed them within. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say squashed isn't the word. Like they, they, they lost within two or three seconds. Basically, they, they kind of did a thing where both they were against the arrows of Hungary, and the arrows of Hungary kind of got over based on that and match on night one, mainly because of the big stage dive and that kind of thing. So they kind of had a baby face team against a heel team. Both teams were in the ring. Uh, Lucky Kid comes out, his music hits and Lucky King kind of comes to makes as if to go towards the ring and it distracts the Purge Club for long enough that the Arrows of Hungary roll them up and get the win within a few seconds. And that that was clever, I think. And it kind of it it, it helped to kind of bring the tournament back on track a little bit, I think, because mm-hmm. like there was nobody I spoke to at the bowling on the Friday night 
wanted to see the Purge Club in another match or another long match or, or get to the final. You know, people just had enough. And I think WXW kind of were sensible enough to realise that and just pull the plug on them a little bit. And like I said, the word squashed. In fairness to them, they didn't just squash them in, in three seconds by hitting their finisher on them. They kind of had the excuse of the, they didn't bury their own talent either. You know, they had the excuse of the of the distraction and the feud with Lucky Kid can kind of continue from there, you know. Um, and in terms of the other semifinals, Pretty Bastards against David Starr and Norman Harris. Again, I wouldn't say a match that's anything to write home about. The highlight of the match to me was one of the Pretty Bastards literally getting Canadian destroyer out of his trousers, which <laughs> <laughs> which is probably something that they'd try a hundred times. It would never come off again, you know. Um, but like when something like that is the highlight of the match, you know, it, it's, it's not a match mm-hmm. I'd be saying to people go back and watch on the VOD or anything like that. Um, probably the best match of the tournament up till then was Birch and Lorcan against the Workhorsemen. I really, Definitely. really thought that was that was excellent. Really like one of the best matches oh. of the weekend, I think. Um, how good are the workhorsemen James my god Uh, like them too I wasn't even aware of them like I I mean I was aware of them but and I knew there was a quote unquote fake James Drake um, trotting about in America (laughs) got to ask him about that at the the press bit he was uh, wasn't particularly complimentary about the other James Drake at first but then (laughs) did go on to to say how much he respects him as a wrestler and uh, Zach Gibson as a partner he was quite shocked as well when I pointed out that uh, James Drake's old name was JD Sassoon uh, he wasn't impressed by that old uh, old JT Drake, but you know it was part like there were names I've heard of, and I'm I'm sure I've seen them on the odd evolve cards and not really you know registered Mania too much. Weekend, probably, yeah, yeah, Mania weekends, you know, early on in the run. But I tell you what, like this, this semi final match, Birch and Lorcan against the uh, Henry and Drake, them two, this was where the tag tournament kind of woke up. First match of the the tournament that I gave four stars, and yeah. yeah, it was mainly to be honest, mainly about hey Henry and Drake, especially Drake. Like if people haven't seen him, he's kind of got the you know he'd fit right into you know uh, the current NWA TV or you know any yeah. pick an eighties wrestling territory, he'd slot right in as kind of this you know like, like I said, bull and ball shaped southern wrestler who you know can still can go as well and you know can keep up with an Anthony Henry who's got a much more much more modern style but he's just dripping in personality um just in trash talk as you found out at the Jamesy bowl at the bowl and Jamesy <laughs> but also in ring as well he's just the whole the whole room is looking at JD Drake when he when he's in there when he's in the ring and he's just he's got a charisma he's got something that's really that captivates an audience I think and yeah for me this was to be honest probably the highlight of the tournament as far as uh, yeah. in-ring matches yeah. go fair to say yeah absolutely yeah and like as a team you would never put Henry and Drake together like they're yeah. polar opposites like even physically like Jesus Henry Henry has he's got the NXT look like he's got the abs and the great build and that kind of thing and like as I said like 0.1% body fat probably and works that kind of indie kind of uh, shooty kind of hard kicking style and that kind of thing mm-hmm. And then J.D. Drake with his beer belly and his southern drawl and his, his you know, his Vader bombs and his, you know, his just big man offense. <laughs> like, I would say Drake was probably, for me, the breakout star of the weekend. I think it's fair to mm. say, like, a guy that, like, if he's not in, if he's not, I suppose he, he could be signed between now. Uh, you have to think with, with the way he's on involved and that kind of thing, that him and Henry probably will not end up getting signed eventually. But, like, if if they don't get at least Drake back for Karras, then they're crazy mm-hmm. because that guy oh, yeah. was a made, he was in by, by the end of night three, he was a made man in Oberhausen, you know, and like, yeah, definitely that, that match was just really good tag wrestling. Like, and it was the match at that point that the tournament was really crying out for, like, because if, if that hadn't happened, you'd be looking at what, six, nine matches and not one of them 
anything that you'd recommend for people to watch, you know, and that's that's not great for, for, for a weekend of this quality and a promotion that kind of prides itself on good wrestling like WXW does, you know. So that kind of saved things. And I suppose we have to talk about the final, Benno. Let you go mm-hmm. first. You tell me what you think about the final first. I really didn't like it. I mean, I, it, I, I kind of, I was up in the balcony with, you know, the likes of Ian Hamilton and uh, Will was up there and uh, I think Arm Furious was up there as well. And most of the people around me were loving it. Uh, basically what they did is they, this year with the tournament, the final was a, was a three-way tag um, that they went for. And it was just instead of, you know, uh, really night three was a lot of a mix of other matches and then this one final uh my personal favorite wrestlers of the tournament pretty bastards made it there <laughs> with the arrows of hungry against birch and Lorcan. um yeah i mean <laughs> the arrows of hungry were kind of the sacrificial lambs they went out first uh and then you were kind of left with the pretty bastards and the and the wwe team and i was kind of thinking okay you know I don't get this pretty bastards thing. It's not for me. For me, they feel like the type of tag team that would be best. You know, in WXW, do that roll call before the, uh, the, the the matches and they're listing all these teams from years ago. And like, there are teams called like the 69ers and the and the two penises or whatever they're called. Like, they seem to fit that era of WXW for me. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but they've got, you know, they've got a, it's something. They've got a sleazy look. They've got personality. There's something there with them down the line I think and I was watching this thinking you know what we probably all moan about it coming in but if the WWE team wins here fine you know what there isn't really anybody else to to give the tournament to and instead they went the angle route and the match kind of turned into a big angle hard to uh, to rate for the old notebook Jamesy and we had uh, Bobby Guns come out who'd lost the WXW Unified title to, to Tim Thatcher on night two, as we talked about earlier, um, and helped them. They did the whole uh, thing with uh, Norman Harass, who was uh, teaming with David Starr throughout the weekend, who was uh, replacing Eddie Kingston. He's very, very young, uh, very much a blue chip kind of wrestler. Come out as if he was going to make the save and join the heel stable. They beat down the WWE guys for what felt like an eternity, and then it was one, two, three, and it was over. And, you know, I enjoyed the post-match scene with, you know, the uh, the pretty bastards and uh, and, and old Norman uh, smoking some cigarettes uh, like, the, like the naughty kids in school and joining Bobby Guns uh, in his gimmick and uh, kind of, you know, lording it over the fan base. They did get a lot of cheers, which you probably should have saw coming because there were a lot of people I felt ironically cheering the pretty bastards throughout the weekend. Uh, and a lot of people who were probably just glad the WWE team uh, didn't win, uh, if anything. So they tried to establish them as this big heel act. And I get it, you know, it's a better start than, uh, than do not resuscitate. Uh, if you're going to, if you're going to do that and you're going to, you know, try and make stars out of young guys. But for me, I just didn't really see much in the pretty bastards all weekend to make me think they, belong in this role and Norman Harass I've seen the promo work uh, after this the, the promo with all four of them looks an awkward fit for this stable for me um, I get that they want to read Bobby Guns and do something fresh and I get they want to make new guys and you want to be encouraging and say well they're making new stars but I don't know about these particular new stars I don't know if you've uh, got a more positive uh, look on it than me Jamesy no, no, I, I kind of agree with you, Benno. Like, and I suppose, like, as you said, the first thing is the principle of your big weekend ending with four homegrown talents standing tall in the ring is it's hard to criticize that as a principle and as, as a philosophy and as a, as, a, as a kind of a future direction for the company. That's a good thing. And, and like, I don't feel like we're criticizing that. 
No. I would have issues with, number one, I would have issues with the way the match was structured. Um, yes. If you were going to do the turn, then I think Burton Lorcan should have lost first. And I think maybe what should have happened is, like, there is definitely an anti-NXT sentiment mm. at these shows. I, I, I don't know if the Germans share it as much as the British and Irish, but I do feel it's very strong amongst the British and Irish who go to these shows. And they are quite, we are, we, I suppose they, we are quite vocal fans at these shows. And like, we kind of make our opinions known during shows and that kind of thing. And I think the way, the clever way to do it would have been the two homegrown teams maybe have the Arrows and the Pretty Bastards both work together and eliminate the WWE team first. So like when you do that, number one, you keep the WWE team strong because they're basically being beaten down by four guys. I think that would have popped the crowd. I think the crowd would have been happy to see the two WXW teams left. Um, and then just when you've kind of gotten the crowd on the side of, say, the Pretty Bastards, then you turn them. And like the, the Arrows of Hungary got over as faces during that weekend. You know, they did the big dive off the balcony. They were getting cheered by people. And if you had had the Pretty Bastards turn on them at the end, I think that would have got more heel heat because clearly they're trying to get these guys over as heels. But because they beat the, double, the NXT team at the end, they got a lot of cheers just for doing that. People mm. were happy to see them. They didn't want a WWE team holding their titles, I don't think. So if the idea was to get them over as a heel group, then it failed because they were getting cheered. I don't know if, if, if your recollection of it is the same as mine, Benno. They were getting cheered by people at the end. They weren't okay. like, and they, they were trying to do heel mannerisms and that kind of thing. And, you know, they were making gestures towards the crowd, but but people were cheering for them. So the, it failed from that point of view. Um, as you said, Norman Harris does not fit in this group. Like Guns is a kind of a grimy mm -hmm. character with the cigarette thing. The Pretty Bastards are a grimy indie team. And then this clean cut, like I, I think I commented to you at one point at the weekend, Harris to me is the dead spit of a young Axel Dieter Jr. The way he moves in the ring, the way he carries himself. He's a clean cut guy. And, the, and they, they had done really well to get him over as a face throughout the weekend as well. Like if you go back to the Inner Circle show, the beating he took in that match where he tagged with Thatcher against the workhorsemen, like, they, they, you know, he, they destroyed his chest. They really got him over as a, as a kind of a gutsy baby face. People were on his side, this new guy coming into the promotion. And they kind of threw all that away to kind of shoehorn him into into as the fourth man in this new group and that kind of thing. So, mm. again, I just, you know, I, I don't feel he fits well in that group. Like you said, the whole aesthetic isn't isn't quite right for me. And again, just even from an in-ring point of view, if these guys are the top heel act in the company now, they'll be expected to carry main event matches and they'll be expected to have big matches like um, like WXW every year in February or March, kind of in the run up to Carrot, always do their War Games um, show where they do a big cage match called the Kfig Schlacht. And it's usually a four on four thing and they'll have built up the two teams throughout the year. So presumably the direction for this is these four guys against four kind of baby faces in the company. And are these guys ready for big main events like that? Is Norman Harris, like Norman Harris has potential. As I said, he looks great. He carries himself well. But like even in the tag matches he had when he was teaming with David Starr, you could see the greenness in him. You could kind of see that Starr nearly had to guide him through the matches and that kind of thing. Is he ready? Like I do feel the jury is out. On, and I hope, like, I hope these guys prove me wrong. Like up till now, I have seen the pretty bastards as just about a step above jobbers in the company. You know, guys, you kind of put in an opening match or that kind of thing or an, an opening multi-team match and that kind of thing. 
would you say, based on the three matches they had this weekend, that they're ready to be a main event tag team? Again, if you look at the star ratings those matches got, I would say maybe not. You know, I don't know if they're ready for it. So there's a lot of questions coming out of it. You know, like and like as I said, I will always admire a company getting behind young talent, and I, I do think that's laudable. But I do think mistakes were made, and maybe the wrong guys were used, and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting, and it's kind of it did end the weekend. I felt it was a flat ending to the weekend. Like usually these weekends will end with a great match. You know, mm-hmm. and like we got no great match here. We got an extended angle. And even like you said, Benno, the, the beatdown was so overextended and long. Like yeah. we were just looking at each other in the crowd kind of going, <laughs> what is this? Like, you know, like you, you just you had you had Birch and Larkin in the ring. You had four other guys. You had at one point you had um, was it Larkin or Birch in an arm bar and tapping out to Bobby Guns and. It was just confusing more than anything, you know, and yeah, I, I felt it was a bit of a kind of a low end. To, it was like, I do feel they pulled the weekend back after night one. I think night two was a very strong, mm. was a strong night of wrestling. I think there was some good wrestling on the undercard of night three, but I just felt that this wasn't for me. And it was mm. a very, dare I say, a very WWE style angle almost. And yeah, that kind of thing is not for me. And I think when you run a big tournament like this, the sanctity of the tournament is important and they, like they, they they refer back to their history a lot like they show the kind of they show the role of champions before matches they'll they'll you know they'll they sell t-shirts with all the names of the winners of carrot on the back of it and that kind of thing and now that role called for tag league has the pretty bastards on it and it has a kind of <laughs> the 2019 match was kind of an angle more than a great match and it it just didn't particularly sit well with me and i accept that it was a, a, a shit show of a weekend for them in terms of people pulling, pulling out and that kind of thing. But there was enough good teams on that card to do something else. This wasn't the only option, I suppose, you know. No, no, that's it. Yeah, and I get they were booked into a corner and I get, and it goes into like the whole WXW philosophy, doesn't it? You know, going back to Jacoby, you know, you can't have, was it, you can't have rice pudding for, uh, for yeah. dinner every night. Is that the argument? Yeah. And, we got our big happy moment with Tim Thatcher winning on night two, and they gave us what was intended to be a big sad heel moment at the end of night three. But like you say, the combination of them going over an NXT team and not really being a a, a proper babyface team there to take that beat down, um, unless you did do it um, instead with the arrows of hungry, then yeah, it kind of it fell flat a little bit. But you know, I'll, I, I'm you know. I know uh, you tune into the Bix W a little bit more than I do, Jamesy. I mean, I'll be keeping an eye on results and, you know, picking if there's an interesting card between now and Carrot, but I, and I'll be watching, but I kind of feel like Carrot time is going to be the time when we can really judge this and we can kind of look at it yeah. and go, you know, did that work? Did it reestablish Bobby Guns at the top of the card? Did Norman Harass offer us something that we didn't know? And, you know, do I at some point turn around on the pretty bastards? But I'm not 100% sure <laughs> on that. But, you know, you know, apart from like the, the tag tournament, I suppose, just to, to wrap this, I mean, are there any other like big highlights or even lowlights for you as far as the the, the, the the non-tournament action of the weekend goes, James. They flew in Flamita still uh, yeah. without Bandido. They flew in your boy, Jonathan Gresham, uh, which was a nice surprise. They had a, a couple of uh, fun matches throughout the weekend. And I did think a lot of like the... I felt like it was a, a weekend, as people can probably tell from this uh, this review, where the highlights were very much outside of the tournament rather than, than mm. in it. Yeah, and like, as you said, I, I think they used Gresham very wisely in the weekend. They kind of 
he had singles matches on, on the three nights, which I was delighted about. I, I was kind of half afraid they'd throw him into a Schadenfreude six-man, which you know, I, I wanted, like when I see Jonathan Gresham, I want to see him in singles matches. Like he's a very good tag wrestler. But to me, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world if he's just left to do his thing in the ring, you know. And he had good matches with Flamita and Lucky Kid on night two. Beat them both, kind of gave him a bit of momentum. And then we got the surprise match with Thatcher then on night three, which, which you know, again, anyone who knows me would know that's very much a dream match of mine. And to, to, like, to get to see the two, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> to get to see the two of those guys in person wrestle like is, is, is fantastic, like, you know what I mean? And everything you would want from a match between them, you know. Um, I thought Flamita had a decent weekend. Um, I thought one of the funny things was like, um, you think of Flamita as as a kind of a small guy and you think of like he wrestled Avalanche on, was it the, yeah, the third night in a shotgun title match. And like, we always think of Avalanche as like one of the big men of European wrestling. And, and you see Avalanche and Flamita side by side and they're pretty much the same height. And it's kind of a thing that God, sometimes wrestlers aren't as big as you think they are kind of in your head and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, as you said, and like we should very briefly mention the show, I think from the Saturday morning as well. So like, as I said, we, we had left night one kind of despondent and the first show of the Saturday was a kind of a lunchtime show where it was the Femme Fatales tournament, an eight woman mm-hmm. tournament. And the winner would then get a title shot on the Sunday night. And um, this was a huge success. And like it, it, it kind of it was the catalyst for the weekend turning around, I think. You know, like, as I said, we all arrived into this tournament kind of thinking, God, they really need to kind of pull this weekend around and like we were looking at the card going like will will the women on this card be good enough to do that but in fairness to them like it was a really really enjoyable show from top to bottom you know um I, like session Mott martina from ireland she had a match in the first round with Vesna, who's who's a kind of a veteran who only shows up in wxw kind of for these big weekends maybe the best session Mott match i've ever seen just a really good hard-hitting match kind of you kind of see all her, all of Session Mott's improvement from Japan coming together when she kind of has a hard-hitting match like this. Um, it was a massive breakout tournament for Leila Hirsch, who's a kind of a, a young wrestler from, um, she's trained in CZW, who got to the final of this tournament. Um, and really was was a kind of, a, I had seen her, I think, once in Beyond Wrestling like a while back. Um, but like she was a massive breakout star this weekend as well, you know, like. Yeah, she she'd been over kind of in, in the academy, I think, training for the last few months. And if I would be to describe her, I'd kind of say something along the lines of a young Matt Riddle, almost kind of like she kind of has that MMA style, does the high spots from the top rope is tiny. She's really diminutive wrestler, so she can kind of be a great underdog against a bigger wrestler and that kind of thing. And like the match that she had with Lefisto in the final of that was apart from Thatcher winning the title may have been the best match of the entire weekend. Like just a phenomenal kind of a, a bigger wrestler against smaller wrestler, underdog against veteran match um, that had the place hopping by the end of it. Like and like we we were kind of standing in the corner watching it, and David Starr and a lot of the wrestlers were on the balcony above us. And I think Starr kind of has a vested interest in Layla. I think he maybe have helped train her back in CZW back in the day and that kind of thing. But like even the wrestlers on the balcony, they, they were they were like fans. They were so into the match. Like the whole place was just completely um, just in love with this match, you know. And it was a definitely, if, if you're cherry picking these shows, don't sleep on on that match. Like the final of, of the Femme Fatales tournament is definitely one for people to watch, I think. Absolutely, yeah. She was definitely a notable performer for me throughout the weekend. I, I thought yeah. it was... 
little bit sad that she didn't go over uh, Killer Kelly, although it was Killer yeah. Sounds yeah. of promotion, but still, you know, a memorable weekend for her. She is, she's a little bottle rocket over person. She's, uh, you know, she's in a in a very positive way. You know, as wide as she is tall, and you know, she's very. She comes across as believable despite her. Mm. You know, I mean, it's a height. She's got a got a great look and a great poise and a great, I think, like a silent charisma. Um, I can definitely see that riddle comparison you mentioned there, James. And yeah, that match was a highlight for me for the weekend. I thought, as far as notable performers from the weekend. And she was up there. I thought uh, Amali looked good. Um, yeah. She looks like a higher budget version of Ginny. I think people should keep a, an eye out for her if she's not on your radar. I had a solid match with Faye Jackson on that same card. Like we said earlier, I thought the Russ, Russ Taylor looked great throughout the weekend. I thought Dominic Garini was someone who, who looked good throughout the weekend. They were kind of uh, my standouts. Uh, I think J.D. Drake, obviously, uh, another big one uh, from the Workhorseman for me. Um, Martin, I will note for you that I did speak to him about whether he'd uh, he'd come to England before. and He uh, said he'd been and he hated it. And when I asked him where he'd been, uh, it was Sheffield, apparently. And apparently <laughs> Somebody, we were uh, feeding him German beers at the at the bowler, and he was like, "Yeah, they were giving me the worst beer when I was in Sheffield." And I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty sure it was Carling. So whoever fed uh, poor JD Drake Carling, oh, uh, I the feel same that he was Probably them as well. So yeah, he was, a, but he was a big highlight for me for the weekend. So hopefully that hasn't scared him off, and we get to see him in England. I don't know if there's anyone else like that for you, Jamesy. No, I think you've listed them all there. And like all those guys you you listed there, Benno, I think they should be on Karis or, or they deserve to be in Karis. You know, like it's at the moment, like when promotions are booking these tournaments, they have to be looking at independent guys and guys who are unattached to promotions. Like, and you have a guy like Russ Taylor who definitely got himself over in, 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 this, in, the, in the short few matches that he had over the weekend. Scotty Davis got himself over. Maccabe, J.D. Drake. They've, these people very quickly in, in a short space of time have built an attachment with the fan base, you know, so get all those guys into cars again, you know, and make it a fresh tournament and don't just have the same kind of indie guys that are in every tournament again, you know, like make it fresh, make it different. These are guys that WXW could bring over on tours, you know, and make their cards different to everyone else's like no one else is booking a Russ Taylor at the moment you know, bring him over for a couple of tours during the year and familiarize him with the fan base and that kind of thing. They've been very good about that in the past. Like, you know, they would have brought over guys like like Tyler Bates before he was a big name, Pete Dunne before they were big names, like Brooks was over there before he was a big name in England. They've always been good at kind of keeping their finger on the pulse of the independent scene. So like they, you know, in spite of it, they didn't just make homegrown stars with that stable at the end of the, of the end of the tournament. They did make some kind of import stars as well and there's a basis there for them to kind of have a very fresh and very unique looking carrot tournament if, if they want to in, in March next year you know definitely like fantastic review I've got I've got a couple of questions though especially about the the opening I mean obviously Tim Thatcher really came good once he came over to WXW didn't you James I mean were you watching following him when he was in a PWG and the likes the Really, I know a lot of people were really down on him when he a couple of years ago, and he was mainly doing that uh, California scene. Yeah, like I, I'm probably the wrong man to ask because I, I kind of have a hopeless bias in favor of Thatcher. Like, I mean, and even <laughs> even when he was getting buried by the likes of Joe Lanza for his performances in Evolve, I was always loving those matches. Like, and like you know, people very high profile people would have said that he didn't have charisma. Like, but I, I don't think Thatcher is doing anything. Now, 
that he was that he wasn't doing a few years it ago. Like, you know, switch, though, didn't it? It'd be like every everyone would be sort of yeah. like in his PWG matches, and then as soon as he came over to Germany, it was like, ah, oh, actually, Tim Thatcher in Europe is really good. It's it, I think it's, it's also that have changed and not him. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like as I said, like he has been completely uncompromising in not changing anything. And the last thing he would do is would be would hear criticism like that and change his style up. I think it's just that he found a place in Germany where that particular style of wrestling is respected uh, and mat work is, is more respected, I think, on the continent. Like they have a long history of those those catch tournaments in Germany back in the 80s and, you know, 80s and 90s. That, that's your Robbie Brookside's and your Finley's and your Regal's would have been in like catch wrestling and mat work is that's the tradition in Germany. And that's the kind of wrestling that they respect. You know what I mean? So I think it just needed him finding a place where he was accepted. And I think when, you know, it's perception is, is a very strange thing. Like you see a guy like Thatcher maybe working in PWG and Evolve and working to silence and people not appreciating it. You see him do the exact same stuff. And as I said, I don't think he's doing anything different to the exact same stuff in in the UK as well and in Germany. And it's just when people are kind of reacting to it. I don't know when you're looking at it from the outside, it kind of changes your perception. Maybe I suppose the fact that he kind of associated with Walter and the ring camp thing definitely helped him as well. Yeah, you know, it, definitely, definitely, you know, because, a high point for him, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it 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 kind of it, it got him on a lot more people's radars, I think. And instead of being on his own, he was kind of in a faction, a faction that suited him very well. Like him and him and Walter would have had great tag matches over the years and that kind of thing. Um, so like it's probably a combination of things but like as I said I don't see that he's any different than he was he's just the thing about Thatcher is consistency he's just the same old Tim Thatcher doing the same old thing I never tire of it Um, you know I never have done and as I said I used to get very angry on the internet a few years ago when (laughs) he'd be getting slated for his evolved performances and that kind of thing and it just kind of I never could understand that the criticism is about him you know Um, like his style is niche and it's not for everyone. And I can see, like, if you're not interested in mat work, you probably will find his matches very dry. And that's, you know, you can't argue with that. But, um, yeah, as I said, he's, he's he's consistent and he hasn't changed anything about himself. And as Benno said, I think maybe the fans have kind of evolved and that style of wrestling came into vogue a lot more, I think, in the last few years. Like, I think there was a time when mat wrestling wasn't appreciated. And in the last kind of few years, that whole grapple fuck style and the, you know, the, the rise of things like ambition and the rise of evolve where mat wrestling was kind of more kind of promoted and that kind of thing. It just I just think there's a wider appreciation for that style of wrestling now more than ever. Um, I was quite intrigued by this uh, Purge Club, Benno. I mean, can he, is it really as bad as it sounds? It's so bad. Even even Chris, <laughs> I know Chris Brooks is feuding with them. But it feels like he's got just an, an open goal on Twitter to dunk on them constantly. Like he's constantly making fun of Lucky Kid for losing to the Page Club again every time he loses to them. Like you've lost the two lads in skeleton gloves and, and Page masks. It's just, I mean, the the Bullet Club knockoff thing died. Ace what is an eight years ago? Similar to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like go with the whole club vibe and yeah, the Aces and Eights vibe and even the Page vibe. There's already a Page in, in ICW, isn't there? Uh, they're on a hide to nothing. I know it was hard to you know, rebrand themselves after you know losing the whole Rise gimmick and losing that excellent music and that whole entrance uh, and, and go with something new. But yeah, the Germans don't seem to mind it. But yeah, to me as an outsider, it is a, a very, very cringy gimmick. 
Yeah, anything other than a Bullet Club knockoff. I mean, they were done to <laughs> death, weren't they, like two or three yeah, years yeah. ago? I mean, come on, anything other than that. But uh, yeah, certainly sounded like an absolutely fantastic weekend. I say every time. You know, these WXW weekenders always fall around a bad time of year for me in terms of like, uh, I've always got other things outside of wrestling planned or I'm saving up something else. So I never quite managed to uh, make it over there. I mean, I couldn't make it over to Germany for the weekend, but I, I did manage to get to one of the most unique venues I've ever <laughs> witnessed wrestling in, uh, Breed Wrestling Star Cave on the 12th of October. The cave itself being the Devil's Arse in Castleton or, or Peaks Cavern, as it's slowly... So I, th- I think the uh, the tourist board are wanting it more to be known as Peaks Cavern now rather than Devil's Arse, but uh, that's, a, that's a name that ain't going away anytime soon. Um, yeah, the... the uh, Bree provided coaches from Manchester and Sheffield to the venue. I mean, Castleton's a, a small countryside village about an hour away from Sheffield. Uh, it's exactly how you'd imagine a, a quaint British village, lots of beautiful scenery and plenty of countryside pubs. And it, the most surreal moment was walking up to the venue, reminding yourself you're walking up this hill into a huge rock face that you're about to watch a wrestling show. Uh, and what I, what I liked when we first walked in there, it was pretty packed in there, a few hundred people. Ring was sort of placed towards the side of the cave. If you were looking down at the ring from one angle, it seemed like there was a huge drop from one side of it. But on closer inspection, there was like a small balcony on the other side. Uh, that, that I found the show similar to the Riptide show we talked about last time. Breed uh, doing a grand old job of building up their own, you know, their own roster of guys with the host of names not. You won't really see on promotions everywhere else. Uh, Big Guns Joe has become quite the favourite for the company, winning the title in the main event here. He, he had a three-way dance against T.K. Cooper and Brady Phillips, which was a really good match. And uh, Aiken and Carlos Romo had a very good match that you, you would expect from them two guys. Uh, another name on the show, Luke Jacobs. He continues to impress. He's so similar to a, a pre-WWE Daniel Bryan. And a, Good showing against Dan Maloney. Uh, match of the night for me, though, was uh, definitely Mike Bailey against Chuck Mambo. They they started off with loads of comedy, saying that no one really cared about the wrestling, but more the cool photos of them wrestling in a cave. So they did a load of slow motion stuff, but quickly sped it back up, and we got we we got a great spot as they brawled into the crowd, and Mambo threw Bailey over the side of the barrier and onto the platform below, which got a massive reaction. Uh, well, Bailey and Mambo uh, were the only real match that utilised that side of the cave and a lot of the cave itself. Uh, there was a match earlier on in the night where Club Tropicana against the Anti-Fun Police where Damien Dunn threw the Tropicana mascot, Captain Cuddles, uh, a teddy bear, no less, over the barrier and past the balcony to his doom at the bottom of the cave. So that got huge heel reaction for Dunn there and... Uh, also on the show, uh, More Than Hype really worked the socks off against Chris Brooks, uh, Danny Luna, and Curtis Chapman. Uh, slight disappointment for me, this one. The crowd didn't really seem to be that into the match, so a lot of big spots playing to quiet, which was a shame, as uh, the More Than Hype boys always put on a good show. So, all in all, uh, hats off to Breed, though, you know, really making themselves stand out from the crowd in... What is really a fantastic and unique venue? I'm sure someone else will correct me, but I don't know if a, a wrestling show has happened in a cave before. And 
<laughs> I would be interested to see how it plays out on VOD because obviously live is a really good atmosphere for the most part with a really healthy crowd and obviously great organisation. I mean, everything seemed to run really smoothly. I think there were a couple of issues with the PA, but uh, coaches turned up on time, then, you know, back on time. So, you know, that's that's the most you can expect from Brit Rest. And I, I think this would work as a yearly thing. I think once a year, I don't, I don't think it would make the novelty... Wear too thin, and I, I think you know, like I noted earlier, that's off to them for. Uh, I know this was a change of date from, and they had a load of problems with like licensing and things like that. So yeah, I think I think they really, really made it work and a really enjoyable show. And I, I think everyone else who went out there, you know, really were glad that they made the time to uh, to head out to Castleton. So yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I'd be interested to know. Uh, would you guys be added over to this if it was a sort of like a convenient time, Benno? Yeah, I think I would have. I think it, uh, it was the same weekend as uh, Progress in Manchester in the end. And I went to that Progress show that I'm going to mention in a little while. And uh, after being there, I kind of wish I'd gone to the cave. Uh, but I was speaking to uh, to Andy Ogden about it the, the day after. And he was raving about it. And you were raving about it. It just sounded like a great time. Like just just the idea of uh, being there at a cave for wrestling, even if it sounds like you really had to wrap up. Uh, it sounds like it was uh, quite cold in there. But it looked like they had a good beer selection. So, so there's that. <laughs> I think that'd get me in the building as well. But yeah, just the unique sound that surroundings of it. Like if this only ever happened once, imagine being able to say, you know, that you were there. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like it wasn't a, from a, the, th- the things that Breed had put out on Twitter, it doesn't sound like it was a cheap endeavor. So I would imagine, yeah, you probably bang on there that maybe a, a yearly thing, as they've said, would uh, would make the most sense. But yeah, as a, as a special thing that you can aim for every year, you know, instead of uh, your WrestleMania, your, your big September show, you can talk about the cave. Uh, and I love that. I love that idea. So yeah, hopefully it is a, a yearly thing they do. And I think I'll, uh, I'll definitely be uh, looking at heading down next time. Yeah, there was certainly uh, some kind of water dripping from parts of the cave ceiling. I think uh, a lot of it was dripping on the ring because they kept having to have someone run out, sort of like in between every match, sort of wipe this sort of like drip from the top of the cave on, you know, that was landing on the ring. So, uh, and uh, I also noticed on Twitter, I think a few of the wrestlers had come down with colds. Maybe, you know, they got changed into their gear too early and then they were hanging around, you know, whatever a backstage area at a cave show looks like. So, yeah, I think a few of them come down with some kind of... Uh, cold after that so maybe they might think about wrapping up next time but i mean you, you mentioned it there benno on the same weekend as wrestling in a cave progress old chapter 96 in manchester and, and you were there i mean on paper not the best of cards really i mean was it any better live for you um it was a fine live show is probably what i would say i would say that like this is not a show that i'm ever gonna recommend anybody go out and check out on the vod to be honest like there was one match that that maybe i would say that about uh Ilya dragonoff against Kara noir they've just announced that for the camden show though so you're probably gonna see a, another version of that uh on their next show coming up anyway uh yeah it was a weird one it was a it was a six match card which you know, it's got its positives and its negatives. The positive is uh, I got out there about quarter past six and these shows don't normally finish till seven. Uh, so at least there's that. And I bet you it'll be a quick watch on VOD. I wouldn't imagine it would clock it in much more than two hours to two and a half hours. Um, but yeah, it was just extremely, extremely unnotable. And it was, there were positives and there were negatives, really. Uh, one, one negative is, yeah, you know, six-batch card. 
main event didn't feel like a big main event. Uh, they put the Progress Tag Team titles in the main event, Devlin and Davis against the uh, the Grizzle Young Vets who are back in progress for reasons. Uh, <laughs> I would imagine maybe Aussie Open were planned to be in this spot, perhaps, uh, considering, you know, Mark Davis's unfortunate injury. Maybe that was the idea, but, you know, it was a fine tag match, but it, it certainly wasn't a main event. Um, and yet it was just a, a card that was kind of, lacking, uh, you know, a big story, really. I mean, up and down the cards, you know, they had the dark match with Colm Corey, who I've been high on from the uh, the local area against Rizman Khan. He looked solid there. Um, a highlight of the evening, to be honest, was the way the night started. Pretty deadly. I don't know if either of you have seen these. Lewis Howley and Sam Stoker. They've oh, already yeah, been started. To... Where, whereabouts are they from, do you know? Uh, I'm actually not sure what area they're from. I know they've already signed to NXT UK, which what? is typical <laughs> but i know they've been uh, doing some shows uh some of the nxt stuff uh so i think that the idea of them doing a, a long indie run unfortunately is probably not something we're gonna get but yeah as far as like a Fuck team goes <laughs> you've never even <laughs> heard of a game signed to nxt uk well, they don't don't they? See them in the indies anymore like and they're signed it's oh. ridiculous well, he was supposed carrot weekend. They were supposed to be um, down at Riptide doing yeah. the attack tournament, and they got, oh, yeah. got pulled to go do the NXT UK tapings. So, yeah, <laughs> one of them. Unfortunately, I think a, a, a tag tournament like that and a few more shows would be would be cool to see on the indies. Uh, but honestly, I really enjoyed them. They did they do like a very nineties heel act with brown leather pants and slick hair. The two good looking lads, and they're doing a very you know. uh, Beverly Brothers, you know, kind of uh, act, I would say, as far as like a a good uh, heel traditional tag team act. And they were in there against the Young Guns, um, who I I would imagine really haven't really got broke out much past the Northwest, Ethan Allen, Luke Jacobs. Did you see Luke Jacobs on a card recently, Martin? Yeah, he's been on a load of Reed ones. He's absolutely fantastic. I mean, they do work well as a tag team, but he's easily the standout one for me. Oh, definitely. What was that, Jamesy? I was just, I was just saying, Luke Jacobs. I, I've just, I've only seen him on tape, but like that guy is fantastic, really good. Well, definitely. Like I, when I was writing the one to watch stuff for Fighting Spirit magazine, they were going to be my last pitch before uh, that, unfortunately, uh, ended because like they are the two of them. That I mean, literal young guns. You know, I don't think they're a day over nineteen. Um, Ethan Allen looks very, very young, uh, but the two of them, you know, they're essentially they feel a lot like Chris Ridgeway's understudies. You know, in, in that style, as far as young guys go, and you know, there are times where I've seen them do it, and I thought, ah, it's a little bit too cosplay, Noah. Uh, uh, but the, the two of them, they've really got something. And I might have said going into this card that, oh, perhaps, you know, it's a bit soon to throw them on progress cards. But they look great in there against Pretty Deadly. And Pretty Deadly went over. But to be honest, that place would have came unglued if the Young Guns went over as a as a local Manchester team. So I think that was probably a bit of a, a missed opportunity there, unless they do, you know, perhaps rematch them down the line if we do happen to get another card with both of these teams on it at some point. But yeah, that was a real highlight of the undercard for me. Uh, I thought Paul Robinson and Travis Banks, they had a match for the Proteus title, which was just fine. Love Paul Robinson's act, but he's in a weird place in progress right now where he's kind of a baby face, but he's still doing his heel Paul Robinson act. He's trying to get over this Proteus title gimmick that he's got where it's uh, matches can only be won by, I think it was knockout or tap out. And that really only came into the match in maybe the last 30 seconds to, to two minutes uh, where he put, he basically pulled the, uh, the ring apron up and did a, did spots with that to make it, I suppose, more of a serious shooty kind of match. But 
other than that, it was just the match. Uh, Danny Luna and Tony Storm had a standard Tony Storm British indie match where, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say a focus is elsewhere, but, you know, it was just, it, it was a match. And, you know, they after the match, they, they built up, uh, they've been building up on the, I think on their social media for a while. There's some mysterious videos and uh, the lights went out and came back on and Ginny was back in progress uh, in the ring. And uh, now apparently Ginny Havoc doing a, uh, a Jimmy Havoc knockoff uh, with, the, with the mask. Uh, I don't know, guys. I don't know if you're... Uh, I was trying to explain this to a Joe and JP on the Grapple podcast, and I think I killed their interest whatsoever <laughs> in progress by even mentioning that this was a thing. But you two excited to see uh, Tony Storm and uh, and Ginny have match 21 and 22 of their uh, their long-standard uh, three-star feud in progress. They never lived up to the hype, did they, at all those matches? There was always a lot of hype, and you were like, oh, yeah, they're building up to this Ginny, and then it never, never, ever paid off in it in any way of a, a good match. And, and just another example of it, it's like, oh, yeah, we're having this big goodbye, oh, they're back. They've done yeah. that so many yeah. times that it all sprayed yeah. it, like, three or four times, yeah. didn't he? And they've done it with several yes. other people, and then Ginny's back again. And what, what, what was the sort of atmosphere for it like in the building? Was everyone really excited to have Ginny back? People went crazy for it, and I was standing there scratching my head, going, "What?" Like, I mean, I, I get it. You know, you get to see a, a quote unquote big moments there live, but yeah, I, I was kind of maybe with the miserable old men in the corner, kind of standing there going, <laughs> "Like, how is anyone possibly excited about more Genie versus Tony Storm?" But you're right, that's kind of progress right now with bringing people back. Eddie Dennis is the world champion and, you know, he can't even wrestle. You know, he's, he, he came out and did the promo and it's a very good promo, but he's another one who left and they brought back as a as a story and, you know, there was a world title shaped hole on this match by him, only being able to do the promo and, like I say, Ed, it was it was just, a I think, an underwhelming six-match card. I think Danny Lu- if Danny Luna Tony Storm doesn't sum the cards up, TK Cooper versus Roy Johnson uh, to open up the second half probably sums his card up. Two men progress have absolutely murdered twice over with their with their booking of them. They're trying to beat up TK Cooper with this feud with Travis Banks, but the time for that was two years ago. Uh, so yeah, I don't know about that one really as that as a direction. But yeah, for me, too much card really. Enjoyed, uh, like I say, pretty deadly and the young guns. Ilya Dragunov and Kara Noir did have a very good match. That shouldn't be lost, really. I think I gave that three point. I think I went with like almost a four star match for me. That uh, I really in- enjoyed. Kind of the clash of two big characters. You know, Ilya's starting to get a bit of foot in progress. Um, meanwhile, you know, he is already signed next to UK, so you don't know how long he is for progress, unfortunately. But he, his kind of weird mannerisms and stuff that I've criticised in this podcast before, uh, I think people are starting to understand the gimmick a little bit more and, and getting behind him. And Cara Noir comes out as the uh, first time I've seen him live, came out as an absolute superstar. That entrance, not as good in progress as it is in Riptide, but still fantastic. Uh, I thought he looked he looked absolutely great, and it did. It was cool to see two big characters like that go uh, go head to head. And I, to be honest, I gave them. I mentioned it at the start of the show, but if you're gonna rematch anything, fair enough. If they're rematching that on the Camden show, uh, I think they've got a, another very good match in them as well. So yeah, if you were looking for scraps of what to maybe watch in the VOD, maybe those two matches. But yeah, I wouldn't uh, hugely recommend anything else off this show as, you know, as an enjoyable as an afternoon as I, I did have in Manchester. And, um, another big news story coming out of that progress show was that uh, Matt Richards, uh, people will know from Fight Club Pro and also doing the commentary for progress, will be uh, taking over as the uh, 
as the MC for the shows from uh, Jim Smallman. He's also going to be involved backstage as well. Have I got that right, Benno? That's right, yeah. I believe he's uh, taken over as uh, essentially all the Jim Smallman's um, roles uh, backstage and in front of the camera. Uh, it's a tough one for me because I've known Matt Richards a very, very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. My early days with uh, with GPW. Um, I've known That's him. He's a for, super nice guy, and yeah, I interviewed him like a while back, and he's like the yeah. nicest guy, yeah. That interview, he's he's a top bloke. He knows his wrestling. It'll be interesting to see if he can bring some, you know, some fresh perspective to progress that desperately needs it. I do feel like the young guns being on this card and Callum Corrin on the card. I, don't, I genuinely don't I don't know that for a fact, but I would imagine they are they are Matt Richards' ideas to to give it a bit of uh, fresh blood. Uh, but again, yeah, yeah, I'm slightly biased in in um, knowing him personally. Um, he is a cracking bloke, and I I do wish him well. But I, I also do have kind of maybe the the feeling that maybe he's a little bit too similar to Smallman to be doing the ring and of progress yeah. maybe i don't know if you, you'd agree james you maybe the, it might have made more sense to go a, a, another way at least for the, the on-camera stuff yeah he's he, he's he's the safe option isn't he like he's he's basically if you can't have jim smallman he's he's the next best thing you know he will mm-hmm. do it the same way as smallman did but like you know we would have chatted i think it was me you and will you know uh, a while back we had a kind of a long conversation about progress uh when it was announced that smallman was leaving and like mm-hmm. the, the the optimistic side of us was kind of hoping that maybe just maybe this would be the opportunity to kind of press the reset button on the promotion, you know, and maybe just go in a totally different direction. And I don't mean just the ring announcer, you know, like um, just a bit of a revamp, something to freshen it up, because just listening to you talk about that show, you know, apart from the fact that you had the young guys in the opener, it just feels so stale and like it's, I have no interest in watching that show based on your review of it, I, even based on the card on paper. It's not yeah. a show I'm going to be rushing out to, to, to look at and, and to watch, you know, and they've taken the safe option again. So they, they haven't, they've, they're deciding basically that they're happy the way they are and they're going to muddle along the way they are, you know, and that to me is a bit depressing because it's it's just hard for me to watch progress these days. You know, it's it's just a very, very, very turgid promotion that seems to me to be out of ideas there's no freshness to it there's no newness to the booking like i would hope that matt maybe will will have an input into the booking and that kind of thing and maybe bring some fresh ideas because there's no doubt that the three guys have gotten very complacent and gotten very indulgent and like they're stubborn in their belief that the way that they're running the promotion at the moment is is the way that things should be you know but I, I i don't get the feeling that he'll be a guy that will go in and want to upset the whole way that things are you know i would love somebody to go in there and question them and to kind of say well why are we doing this you know what i mean and why aren't we pushing this guy and this guy why don't we kind of lay off the wwe guys and push some newer talent i'd love someone to go in there and almost stand up to them and kind of say come on guys like let's snap out of this kind of stupor that the promotion's been in for nearly two or three years now at this stage and try something different and i feel like it's 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 them putting a guy in place who probably let's be honest won't do that and would probably the status quo will will remain and what progress has been for the last few years is probably what progress in 2020 is going to be yeah well if they hadn't have brought matt richards in benno i mean what 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 would have looked like a reset for him? What just going to a regular ring announcer, or just completely getting rid of the sort of like intros altogether? Or how, what what would they have done differently? Do you think? 
Yeah, I think I mean it's tough because you know the 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 presentation and the the Jim Smallman aspect of progress is progress, isn't it? For most people. Yeah. Uh, but if he's going, and you know we've got this long six-month goodbye, we're, we're almost through. Thank God, um, <laughs> January. If that's going to happen anyway, it's not going to be the same, regardless. So I think for me, uh, I think I'd have changed you know, even silly things like you know the the way the, the they shoot the show, the filter they put on the on the shows, the just give it a fresh coat of paint. Really, as far as a look goes, uh, I think that that classic progress look is, you know we've seen it for a long time now and i've i've said the past and you know james he noted the podcast with will a big talking point for me is you know you look at when they when they redid the wcw nitro set and it was like you know while the set was the old 1996 1997 set it still felt like nitro and then when that when they changed everything and it turned to 1999 2000 it wasn't just the set that was changing it made you kind of wake up and go, oh god this isn't the same wcw so there is that negative if they do that and they do completely give it a, a new coat, coat of paint as far as presentation goes but I think you're onto a loser either way, really, because we're just going to compare it to the progress of old, and we're going to compare Matt directly to Jim Smallman. Um, and you know, he'll admit himself he's not Jim Smallman. Jim Smallman was very good at his job. Matt was very good as a ring announcer at Fight Club Pro, and very good at you know the other places he's worked too. But you know, when you get that direct comparison, I think it's if anything, it's just going to obviously feel inferior. So yeah, for me, I would have gone with a maybe an outside ring announcer, maybe something a bit more more standard than rebranded progress as a whole i mean to be honest if i'm if i'm glenn joseph and i'm john briley and, and smallman's leaving i'm wondering whether i should take a step back myself because as james you said i think this promotion desperately needs fresh blood it desperately needs people who whose entire you know as it was in the early years of progress the entire focus of the three owners was on progress you kind of need that again yeah and you need some you need people who've got fresh ideas who are going to be thinking about progress thinking about the show to show and not just slapdash throwing cards together as it seems they've done these last couple of years so yeah while i would fully admit that you know you're gonna have some negatives to to do a full rebranding and to to go with a completely di- different direction with your ring announcement and your presentation, I think long term that's probably the better idea. But obviously, it's not the way they've gone. Well, um, I mean, we, we're discussing progress here, and they've announced um, that they're going to be having Timothy Tattoo. You guys have been waxing lyrically about on this program, taking on Chris Hero at Chapter Ninety Nine in December, and it. it like no doubt, these two guys are going to have a fantastic match. I mean, you you would hope so. I mean, especially with with you know the caliber that you've got in there. But it does seem like a match that's just been thrown together for the sake of having a match. I mean, I'll certainly be going to. It's only ten minutes from my house, but you know, then it will be a fantastic match. But it's just just like Ben was just noted there, just thrown together at the last minute, James. Yeah, and and like that's you know. The way that they used to get people into the building was their characters and their storylines and, you know, getting people to care about their their core roster. And, you know, I said it before on here, like they, they, they did a huge number a few years back based just on their core roster. Basically, apart from Tommaso Ciampa, it was their days. And they put, what was it again, guys? Was it two and a half, three thousand? In the venue in London, that 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 first big big show they the did, Brixton one, about. the Brixton one, yeah, the very first big show they did, thousand, yeah. yeah, and and they got widespread praise because they did it. Just they didn't put any big names on it, and they didn't like you know they didn't they didn't do what ICW were doing to draw those big crowds where they were loading it up with as many big names as they could. They did it 
but it was progress drew the promotion progress and progress stories drew and now it's um it's these kind of they have access to big names like they, they can make a call and they can get a Cassius Ono. They can get an Ilya Dragunov. They can get these guys over for one-off appearances. And, and they've they basically rely on that now to draw. You know, they like that's a great match. Ono and Thatcher on paper. I will watch that. It's one of the few progress matches in that's coming up in the next while that I will actively seek out and watch the minute it drops. You know, so they're getting me in. The guy who's very cynical and who's you know had a lot of negative things to say about progress and WWE in the last few years. I will go out of my way to watch that match. But they've started to fall back on that kind of thing, you know, and that's what it's lazy and it's it's complacent. I talked about just a little few minutes ago there about them getting complacent and lazy because they now have access to these people. They've stopped telling stories. They've stopped building people up. Um, the only storyline that they've told in progress this year is do not resuscitate. There has been nothing else. They did nothing with Walter as champion for months. Um and it's because they know they can put names like that on a card and they'll probably sell the venue out based on that, you know. And yes, it's good for them. They get the money and that kind of thing. But all the while, they're losing the goodwill of people who who, who went to progress for different reasons and to see big names, you know. And at some point, the bubble will burst and there will come up. Like people are, I put a tweet up during the week there. It was when the results were coming out from the show you were at, Benno, actually. And I put it, it, it's basically what you said. It was what you was, it's your point that you made a few months ago that um, maybe promotions would be better off if they didn't book NXT talent at this stage. And I was kind of expecting a lot of people arguing against that in my mentions and that kind of thing. But it got universal agreement. The amount of people who said, yeah, like there will come the point where people tire of seeing these NXT wrestlers because, you know, you put Cassius Ono in a one-off match and he's gone again. You know what I mean? There's nothing for people to sink their teeth into. You can't do anything long-term with NXT guys. Like, look, look at the trouble they got themselves into by having the belt on Walter for so long. They ended up having to do this convoluted thing where that we all buried just to get the title off him. You know, and it's nearly becoming more trouble than it's worth. So, like, eventually this constant use of NXT talent will be rejected by people, I think. And there will come a time where people will just get fed up with seeing these guys because it goes nowhere. And it's just, it, it's like Rev Pro with the New Japan guys. People kind of get fatigued on that after a while and they want something kind of more substantial to sink their teeth into as fans, I think. I mean, you mentioned Walter a couple of times there and I couldn't help but uh, Will Coolin on his uh, PW Torchcast uh, earlier this week, Benno was saying, uh, uh, you know, if... If you want to kill a promotion, you make Walter the champion. I mean, I'm paraphrasing <laughs> in there, but, you know, he seems to, you know, progress made him champion and the crowds dwindled and then NXT UK um, made him champion and the crowds started dwindling. A very controversial point there by Will, but, you know, it, it, there is some truth in that. Definitely, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, Will's a very smart man and he makes very good points. Uh, that I listen to that podcast. I don't totally agree. I think, I, I think Walter's the poster boy for it. I think because Walter's been on top in NXT UK as it's both creatively uh, not flourished and... I don't know if uh, we don't really know that how they do on WWE Network, but it doesn't feel like a lot of people are watching it. And obviously, he was a poster boy for progress as, as they continue their downswing in, in overall interest and even in attendance uh, for some shows. But I don't know. I, th- I feel like the decline is already happening and it's more the, the you know, the, the overall malaise of NXT UK as a product and the malaise of, of progress as a, as a product, really. And they're not really far from, I think Walter was probably the most interesting thing in, in progress when he, when he did win the battle. 
belt and they just didn't put much interest in around him or with him. Um, and yeah, you know, they're, they're trying now, you know, I do, I do appreciate that they're trying to do something with a car and a war. I appreciate that, you know, I didn't love the main events on the show I went to, but Scotty Davis, they've teamed with Devlin and they're trying to do something with Scotty Davis. You know, they're getting behind some of the right guys. But like, as James, you said, yeah, I think the, the elephants in the room is always going to be NXT UK. Every match on that Manchester show had an NXT UK guy in it, uh, or at least somebody on the, you know, that they use for, uh, for odd tapings. Uh, and it just, you can't get away from that specter. And as hard as it might be to, to do, as, as we, as we all have said, and as, you know, as James has just uh, eloquently put as well, the best thing might be to just step away from even booking NXT, you guys in general and making progress. It's entirely its own thing. Um, I think that might be better. And yeah, you know, if you don't, you do end up with a situation like what happened with Walter where, yeah, he was the champion of both brands and it was, it was tough to kind of separate, you know, progress Walter from NXT UK Walter. And you lost that uniqueness at the top of progress as well. So yeah, I think Walter was maybe a victim of that as well as uh, some bad booking uh, around him. And um, I mean, before we get into some uh, other bits, um, talking about some of the European wrestlers around the rest of the world. I mean, first up, uh, El Fantasmo against Will Ospreay match that happened from this past weekend's New Japan show. I really enjoyed this uh, match. I mean, it was a fairly weak showing from New Japan, I, I thought, but um, I thought this was a standout match on the card here, Jamesy. <laughs> Yeah, probably the best match. I, I did enjoy the, the Liger and Suzuki thing as well. I think that was probably the most memorable thing on the show. Um, if you're looking probably at star ratings and bell to bell, then probably Fantasma and Osprey was was the best match. But as you said, the best match on a week show. Um, I think a, a good Osprey match, you know, uh, it, it's, you know, we talk about Osprey a lot on here and, you know, I gave it only, I think it was three and a half or 3.75. And I say only three and a half, 3.75 is a very, very good match in terms of like, and I think we, we, we said about the amazing red match the last time as well. It probably won't rank in the best Osprey matches of the year. Still a good match. Like, like I, I, I kind of looked up the results of the show after the match happened and I saw 28 minutes and I'm kind of scratching my head thinking, why in the name of God do we need that? And like for a match, it's the fifth match on the card. Do we really need the fifth match on the card to go 28 minutes? You know, and that immediately kind of puts me off a match a little bit. Um, you know, for me, the interference kind of dragged it down a little bit as well but lots of good stuff in it I think uh, more than anything I think it highlights the in-ring improvement of El Fantasmo like that, that's a guy who came over to the UK what is it now maybe two years ago wasn't a guy that I particularly like I saw him in OTT in his early days and I can't say that I was particularly high on him and now he's kind of he's working that quick quick paced style with Osprey and able to keep up with him, you know, and has grown into a kind of a, a really good heel gimmick I think, like he's a really detestable heel like he's a really, he's a guy you, you kind of want to see get his ass kicked, you know, and that's that's what a heel should be, you know um, so yeah, as I said, a good match um, the, the stuff on the in the crowd when they were up, up above the entrance and that kind of thing was really unique um, I, I wouldn't be saying to people you need, you absolutely must watch this match like I would say about a lot of Osprey matches this year but a good match and I mean it's 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 very rarely we come on here and say Osprey has a bad match really isn't it that's it yeah and I think that for me it was more about it's like a, an El Fantasmo character kind of 
showcase, like mm, you said, yeah. JG, the, the long running time of the match. To be honest, it was almost like two or three matches in one, but they're having the different segments of them. Going out to the crowd and doing the dive segment, starting very much on an even footing, you know, and doing the, you know, all, all the Jerry Lynn, Rob Van Dam stuff before, you know, El Pantasmo did turn full heel again um, and, and did a lot of heel, strong heel work throughout the match. You had the, the segment with the interference as well. Uh, it was just maybe I didn't, I, I didn't love the match. Um, I thought it was fine. Uh, I definitely, I think I'm with Jamesy and that the best match on the card was uh, was Liger Suzuki. Uh, but maybe that was part of it. The fact that the match felt a little bit patchwork of a few different ideas maybe pulled together to one match. But yeah, to be, if, if it really though, the, the last and legacy of this one is just, I was surprised El Fantasma didn't go over. I thought it would have been the time to do it. Uh, unless they've got big plans for uh, for us by, at Wrestle Kingdom. But it was everything everything that's come together with El Fantasma these last few months. And, you know, I was with Jamesy and not being a huge fan of him when he came over and he was, you know, on those Rev Pro cards. And he, if anything, looked like a budget on Helico. Uh, to where he is now, I can't believe anyone thought it'd be a good idea to make him a babyface. Uh, he's a fantastic heel. Uh, and he's gotten over big time uh, in New Japan as well. So it was cool to see him in a in a big focus match on a, on a big New Japan card. And, you know, while I was surprised, he, uh, he didn't win the belt here. And I do think, you know, his time is coming um, on a big show to get a big moment like that. Uh, and I think we're going to see uh, lots more of him going forward uh, in New Japan. And I think he's one of the, uh, one of the success stories of that, uh, that mini Rev Pro New Japan relationship, uh, if anything. And as well as uh, Osprey over in Japan, uh, the Wednesday Night Wars are in, in full swing now with NXT and AEW going head-to-head. And there are a number of uh, European wrestlers in uh, prominent roles uh, for each promotion in NXT. We've got Walter and Pete Dunne, and then over in AEW, we've got Pac and Jimmy Havoc. And, uh, and Benno, how do you think the Euro guys have fared in the first few episodes of uh, NXT and AEW? Oh, you tease. You know my answer. Jimmy Havoc. <laughs> like, we've got to start with Jimmy Havoc. Oh, my God. Like, he would not have came across worse on last last week's TV show. Jimmy Havoc. Like, he came... He came they had him cut a promo. I, I'm not a Jimmy Havoc your voice. I'm not a Jimmy Havoc fan, and I know I'm not. But even I've seen him cut better promos than this. Yeah, cut that's the thing. Even like, this guy used to cut so many, like, oh. way better stuff than this when he was oh. sort of, like, in progress and whatnot. It was just budget raving in the nonsense about how his rage was going to come out and how he was going to, you know, just like the miserable goth in school kind of thing. And it's just like, he couldn't look worse on TV either as well. I'm not a body guy in wrestling at all. Like, I don't care. People have been getting on Marco stunt this week. And I think most of that criticism is completely overblown. I can take a Marco stunt. Can't take a Jimmy Havoc. Like him out there, you know, just, with this horrid look in his in his indie t-shirt, he just couldn't look more like he didn't belong there on TV, unfortunately. Uh, and maybe there are fans of Jimmy Havoc screaming at the the, the the podcast machines right now, but I think a big part of the problem as well, he was opposite Darby Allen, who, you know, whatever fan base they're trying to appeal with, with Jimmy Havoc, Darby Allen's going to appeal to 20 times over, is 10 times the wrestler of Jimmy Havoc, and he's got 10 times the, the prospects of Jimmy Havoc. I think Jimmy Havoc's gotten in based on a reputation that he earns three, four years ago, uh, and hasn't really done much to live up to since. So, yeah, as far as a bit of Euro guys there, as far as a big negative for me, I think uh, Jimmy Havoc's uh, top of the list there as someone who just, yeah, uh, unfortunately, I don't think he's uh, particularly done a, done Brit Res proud in his uh, big tel- proper television debut. The crowd were really quiet for that match as well, weren't they, compared to the rest <laughs> of the show? 
yeah, and the rating it dropped. I think during I think Meltzer reported as the ratings went through the show. I think what two hundred thousand people tuned out. Can't blame them. Um, and I'm not blaming that. Or Pack's been good though, James. Eh? Yeah, and I mean Jesus, talk about a contrast between two wrestlers. Like you have you have Havoc, who's who's on this big stage and this you know on on TV in America looking as about as indie as you could possibly look. And then you contrast him to Pac, who's like just a, a superstar. Like, you know, a, a guy who's used to being on TV, looks phenomenal, carries himself amazingly well, could easily be the top guy in that company if they ever wanted to pull the trigger on him, you know, um, and has already been having good matches. Like, I think it was around the first show he had the match with Adam Page. And like, mm-hmm. it, it was a really good match, like a big improvement on that match they had in WrestleGate a few, a few months ago. Um, I, I haven't seen last night's episode yet. I have a bit of an issue now. I'll have to watch it before I completely kind to bury it or whatever but as far as I understand he took the pinfall in a tag match last night is that right yeah. Ben have you seen it yet yeah now, they now did I... an angle with uh, with Moxley storming out on him so they kind of yeah. gave him the there. they protected him but it kind of it's it kind of got me thinking about how many times Pac has even been pinned since 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 WWE. And I had a quick browse through his cage match. The only match he's actually pinned in before this was, was when he dropped that Dragon Gate title a few months ago. Yeah. And you have you have to go back to I think it's September twenty seventeen for the last time he was pinned in the USA. Now now I know there's a long period there where he couldn't even work in the USA. But like to my mind, that's a thing AEW could have used. You know, like Maybe they should have given that first pinfall loss to somebody in in a straight singles match and have somebody beat him more cleanly. You know what I mean? Because AEW don't have years of storylines to fall back on. You know, and any little thing they can get, like 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 that that thing that that's fallen into their hands that Pac hasn't been pinned for over two years in America. That's something he could be kind of boasting about on shows and talking about and talking up and make it a little thing that's part of his package. You know what I mean? And then maybe in two or three months' time have somebody beat him and like you're giving you're making it mean something then you know whereas i feel like like you know pack you, you guys talk on grapple a lot you know about how pack has been has protected himself you know and we talk about guys on the british indies being too generous with giving away defeats like that guy has protected himself and protected his image nearly to his detriment at times you know what i mean but so why not put all that to a bit better use and maybe have him lose a match that meant something a bit more than just a kind of a tag match to set up an angle and that kind of thing. You know, just something that jumped out at me. Um, but in general, Pack superstar, you know, and as I said, probably the top heel in the company when you take out Jericho and his crew and that kind of thing. And a guy that they're lucky to have, I think, you know, a guy with, you know, he's known by WWE fans. He kind of has the hardcore fan credibility as well for his time in Dragon Gate and his time on the Indies and that kind of thing. And an absolute superstar. And like a guy who who should be on this stage and not wrestling in Southampton for Rev Pro in front of 50 <laughs> or 60 people. You know, this is where a guy who looks like Pac and who has his kind of aura should be. Guys like him should be on TV and we shouldn't begrudge a guy like Pac not being in the Indies. Guys like Pac are the guys who should be signed and should be on TV. And um, I mean, I've, I've not a chance to watch either episode of NXT. Uh, Benno has Walter. I mean, he seems to be making the transition to like full proper NXT now. I mean, he's been on both the episodes so far. Yeah, it's interesting that they've, uh, you know, considering he, he always said he was never going to go to the US, now he's so prominent on NXT TV. I almost said NXT UK then, but no, the actual good NXT he's on. Um, like, I, I, kind of odd, really. Like, you, 
you never would. If you said to me, oh, yeah, Walter and Kashida are going to have a match, I go, yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, in the future one day, is it going to be in New Japan? Nope. It's on NXT on Spike TV. Spike TV. Uh, sorry, on USA. How crazy is that? Like, that's just uh, the fact that that's even happening and the fact that they trusted them enough to put him in a, in a main event says something too. Obviously, maybe there's something to Will's uh, theory there as the uh, the ratings of NXT haven't been great. And I think uh, <laughs> as we're recording, they've just come in again. They've tumbled again uh, for a third week running. Uh, not a good sign, but uh, at least for Walter personally, yeah, they're getting behind him as the big bad. And, you know, that NXT TV product has its, has its problems. It's, uh, for me, a bit too in-ring based for me and a bit, bit grey uh, and not great in front of you know the small uh venue in front of the massive arenas that AEW are running but walter has been a, a, a positive for me and the fact that he's been looked after so well and treated like the uh, the monster that he is i think is a good sign i think he's someone who they will protect and you know hopefully treat as somebody special um going forward as much as uh, that company is uh, able to treat anybody special and um, Andy Ogden's back for his uh, latest edition of Going Undergraps to talk some of the lesser-known promotions around the UK. Uh, this time around, he hit title in Leeds and also had a Long to the Cave show this past weekend. Hello, this is Andrew of Graps and Claps Audio, bringing you another episode of Going Undergraps. With news on what's been going down on the underbelly of the Brit Rest scene, taking in the sights and sounds of Tidal in Leeds. Schadenfreude and friends in Manchester, and Bree Wrestling in a cave. So without further ado, let's get to it. So first starting off with Tidal, uh, on the September the 18th show, uh, which was put together on short notice due to the um, OWE, like China cancellations, leaving lots of wrestlers um, without booking. So this um, show quickly put together. And, yep, turned out to be a fantastic show. And here are some of the um, highlights that happened. We had Sugar Dunkerton making his return to Tidal after a couple of months away. This time he defeated Robbie X, who was making his debut for the company. Despite being a permanent fixture in the uh, in the region with NGW Wrestling. Um, on this evening, though, uh, Robbie X put on a great performance that will hopefully lead to more bookings as he's um, one of the more underutilised workers on the scene. In other action, Joe Nelson defeated Ophidian in what was possibly the best match of the night. And in the main event, the title heavyweight champion at the time, Will Cruz defeated Seb Strife of the Lion Kings in a proper big lad scrap, which included a huge Spanish flyby Cruz that shook the ring a few more inches to the right. Uh, on the 29th of September double header, we had um, Little Miss Roxy retaining her TCW women's title in an excellent match against Lana Rostin who recently made her debut in the WXW promotion on Tag Festival weekend, where she made a great account of herself there. And on the evening show, in what many are calling a possible match of the year contender, we had Rampage Brown and Mike Bailey in an absolute banger with kicks and strikes so hard you could hear them on the street around the corner. Uh, Rampage, though, eventually got the victory with the pile driver to put away Bailey to further stake his claim to the TTW Championship at a later date. Uh, I would fully recommend you search this match out on Tidal's video-on-demand service. Possibly on uh, Rampage's agenda soon is a match with Sugar Dunkerton, who was successful on this evening, defeating Roxy in a submission-laden match-up. Uh, after the match, Sugar got onto the match to issue a challenge to Rampage in a way to avenge his uh, loss of a few months ago before Sugar went back to the USA. 
But in the past week or so, that match has been put off till a till a later date due to um, commitments elsewhere for Rampage Bound. But it it should be good when it does happen. Uh, in the main event, we had a TCW Heavyweight Championship change as the returning David Graves defeated Brady Phillips and the champion Will Cruz to become the new champion in a fantastic three-way match, which added to the Rampage versus Bailey match that you should also seek out. Uh, Tidal's next show takes place in Leeds on the 27th of October, with a double-header including an all-rope submission-only show called Grounded, taking precedence in the afternoon. Next up, um, we go to Schadenfreude and Friends, who ran their second show at the Frog and Bucket in Manchester on the 24th of September in front of a sold-out crowd, which by going off their four-minute sellout of their upcoming double-header in November, it's certainly becoming the hottest ticket on the British scene in, in what is supposed to be in the uh, Brit Ress's dead era. Uh, even though the show will more, this show will more than likely not be shown on demand, the show was home to two of the best matches you could possibly see all year, with Kyle Fletcher and Joel Nelson putting on a 20-minute PWG-style match with um, Kyle eventually winning with the Spiral Tombstone, which did a great job of getting both wrestlers over to the audience in attendance. Making a surprise appearance on this evening, though, was NXT UK's Tyler Bate, who faced the challenger British wrestling legend Dean Allmark, who has made his name on the all-star wrestling scene, and more recently PCW, where he was the cruiserweight champion for a considerable length of time. Uh, in a technical classic, Bate defeated Allmark with a Tyler Driver 97. In just over 15 minutes, that got Dean over, especially well with a new audience that he isn't um, accustomed to working in. Uh, Schadenfreude and Friends returns on the 5th and 6th of November in Manchester, which I have said is already sold out, but keep your eyes peeled for when tickets come available for any of their future shows. You won't regret it. And last but not least, Breed Pro Wrestling in Sheffield finally got to run the Star Cave Cave Show on the 12th of October at the Devil's Ass in the Peak District. With the uh, the trip, trip up there looking like a scene from popular UK soap Emmerdale with its rolling hills and plenty of sheep. Uh, as a venue, I would say there were around 400 in attendance on the afternoon with the weather being a bit damp, which in turn, as the wrestlers were performing, you would see spots of water dripping on their head. And then I think half the roster being laid down with a cold now. Nevertheless, this was a spectacle that Breed should be very proud of, that they pulled it off, and hopefully it'll become a regular yearly thing. Uh, some of the things that happened on this show included Chuck Mambo, defeating Mike Bailey in the match of the night, which included Mambo nearly being chucked into the abyss, not the uh, TNA wrestler of yesteryear, on the uh, left-hand side of the ring, plus both wrestlers making full use of the cave surroundings. Uh, we had Ivy retaining a Breed Women's Championship in a four-way match against Gia Adams, Ruby Radley and Vader Scott. Ivy is uh, someone to keep an eye on as she's very good on the microphone and getting the crowd to instantly hate her once she opens her gob. Uh, two big strong lads clashed as Dan Maloney defeated one half of the young guns in the form of Luke Jacobs, who is quickly building a reputation on the scene of someone to keep an eye out for. Maloney finished Jacobs off with the uh, Driller Killer Piledriver, 
But nonetheless, Jacobs um, didn't lose anything in defeat. And in the main event, we had a three-way title match with the champion TK Cooper taking on Brady Phillips and fan favourite Big Guns Joe. Uh, after five minutes, it looked like um, the Big Joe fairy tale wouldn't end so well as a dive to the outside ended up with him being carried out by the officials at ringside. However, as the match went on to its uh, conclusion, Joe made a miraculous recovery marching back out to the ring where he the Match winning AA to get the victory to become your new breed pro wrestling champion to um, cap off what has been a fantastic year for one of the hardest working wrestlers on the UK scene. Well deserved and uh, a thumbs up from me. Uh, I would I would like to say as well, uh, fully recommend you check this show out and when it drops on uh, Breed's VOD service, as it's certainly um, a once in a lifetime show to see. Where else are you going to watch wrestling in a cave? So there you go, that's uh, another edition of Going Under Graps done with. But before I go, I will be back next time with use from shows produced by Future Shot Wrestling, Breed Wrestling Tidal, and Pro Wrestling Eve, and maybe many more places possibly that I land on. Uh, you can follow me at Oggy Part 3, that's oggypart Free, and also check out full show reviews on Graps and Claps Audio, which you can download from all... all Places where you get your podcasts, uh, like Apple, Podbean, so on and so forth. Uh, covering all these shows, plus also my trips to Fight Club Pro, Progress Wrestling in Manchester, and my journey to Oberhausen to watch WXW's Tag Festival. So, make sure you follow them, and um, I will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks to Andy there, always a fantastic segment. He'll be back uh, in a couple of shows' time. And uh, and just a couple of small items for you out of here. Uh, ben, I mentioned it earlier, Tetsujin, the shoot-style promotion, have announced their third-only show for Manchester on the 22nd of November. It features John Devlin against Timothy Thatcher, A-Kid v. David Starr, and uh, J. Joshua v. Vite Muller. Uh, Benno, did you went to the last Tetsujin show? Uh, interesting promotion here. Uh, not run, not run that many uh, shows, have they? No, this is their third and final show. Uh, they've outright said that they want to get out of the uh, the promoting game. Uh, I was at all, I've been at all three. Uh, this will be my third, and yeah, I think it's a it's a really it's interesting. You know, they've they've had this tie to Liverpool where I live, so I should probably be disappointed that their third show was announced for Liverpool, got moved from the uh, the Blackie venue that uh, OWE were going to run, uh, cursed venue that one, uh, and they were unable to get another good venue in Liverpool, so they've moved to Manchester. But I'm actually quite happy about it because I think. You know, for me personally, it's not far away. Manchester Piccadilly is a, a short train ride away. But for people travelling in from out, outside, I think they'll do a lot better. I think this third show will do... Like, the first show I went to was one of the least attended wrestling shows I've ever been to. I'm sure there were less than 50 people there. And it was funny because it was in maybe 2015 or 2014. And we had, you know, Trent Seven, Tyler Bay, Chris Brooks, Walter, Tommy N, all of the big names that would be big in in, uh, in BritRes only, you know, six months to a year later. Um, and it did so badly. But, you know, the second show did all right in Liverpool. But this third show in Manchester, they're in the, uh, the Fairfield Social Club, which is a venue Future Shock Wrestling uh, run for their tapped events where they have a, a brewery tie-in usually with lots of great beers flowing about. It's a very big, nice cavey kind of venue. Not quite the cave you were in uh, for Breed Martin, but still, uh, still a, de- a, a nice venue. 
It's dog friendly. You can take your dogs in too. And again, it's right over the road from Manchester Piccadilly Station. So I think this is a, a good sign. To be honest, if they're going to go out, they're going to go out on a high because I think more people will go. And yeah, they've uh, they've certainly put some uh, interesting stuff together for the card as well. Yeah, they definitely have for, for a last show. And um, I caught Jay Joshua on a uh, breach show the other month, and, and he's, he's quite the unit. And I think um, he had a great hard hitting match on there. So, yeah, that's something, someone to look forward to seeing outside of the bigger names they've got on. But, yeah, I'm uh, certainly interested in heading down to that myself. Um, I mean, just where we had out of here, uh, it's got to be noted about Mark Davis, who's been out with an injury for a while, announced via his Twitter that his uh, MRI revealed he's ruptured his MCL and torn his ACL, and he'll be out for for quite a while. I mean, this is obviously a huge shame for Mark, you know, obviously thoughts with him. But also for a number of promotions here, James, that rely on Aussie Open for the main events and make up a, a good portion of a, a lot of British promotions. Absolutely, yeah. And like, I suppose just from Mark's point of view, first of all, like devastating for him personally. Um, you know, we often think about wrestlers like and like a guy like Davis. To the best of my knowledge, is wrestling full time, and 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 can't wrestle now. So literally, has no income for. You know, I, I get the impression this is a very long term injury. It's going to be you know many months rather than many weeks that he's injured for. You know, so you have a guy who's been deprived of his livelihood, basically. You know, whatever about the the personal enjoyment he takes from wrestling and that kind of thing. And like, I, I think it was no secret that they were almost certainly going to be on the New Japan Tag League next month, and and the, you know the worst possible timing from that point of view as well. You know, and as you said, a huge blow to the British scene, like Aussie Open and the the, the Shad and Friday group, shall we say. Are very much the backbone of the UK scene, you know. You know, they're, you know, it, it kind of highlights how thin the scene is almost in places when you see guys like Aussie Open not being able to go on cards. Like, you know, it, it, it's a blow to like, as you said, Benno, they probably would have been on the Progress Show, they probably would have been on Rev Pro cockpit shows and all that kind of thing. Uh, they're over here in OGT. They would have been in Tag League. Um, the shows we were just at, they're they're everywhere, you know. And now now that they now they're off the scene, you know, it's it's a big big blow to the scene. And I suppose if there is kind of it seems almost crass to talk about any positive coming from this. Like from Kyle Fletcher's point of view, it's a chance for him now to kind of break free of the shell of being in a tag team and like he has a, a, a big opportunity now to establish himself as a singles guy and like the scene is crying out for top single stars you know like you think about who even are the top unsigned single stars on the scene now straight away if Kyle Fletcher kind of can get booked as a singles guy which he undoubtedly will he can go straight to the top of the scene in a lot of places and really kind of do his own reputation no harm at all in, in the few months when Mark is, is injured Definitely, yeah, and it's a. I'd agree as well. It's that's something of a, a positive we can take from it, but it's also quite scary for me because it kind of, you know, how many times on the show that we beat the drum of our, we don't want to see guys sign next to UK contracts and take that guaranteed money. Bet on yourselves, lads, and you know, stick it out on the Indies and you get better. And the problem is for a, a Mark Davis who very clearly has bet on himself, uh, and it looked like it was going good places when things go wrong on you get an injury like this and you're not a contracted wrestler, then it's quite a quite a sad and entire situation, really. I think, luckily for him, he's someone who's so over over here, and, you know, the whole Schadenfreude group are, more, are as much about selling the T-shirts as they are wrestling. So hopefully, you know, there's going to be some of that merchandising that they'll be doing. He'll obviously be helping out with the, the Schadenfreude shows they put on in, in lieu of Tuesday Night Graps in Manchester as well. But, 
yeah, a really sad thing to see to happen to somebody who's uh, took a bet on themselves. And yeah, I'd definitely say, you know, if you're uh, able to support the guy with a uh, buying a t-shirt uh, or anything like that, then then definitely do because these are the same, you know, Aussie Open, as you said, Jamesy, were a backbone of Brit Res these last couple of years, and they were desperately needed as everybody else took up the guaranteed contract. So hopefully, we can all uh, continue to support them both. While uh, it sounds like it's going to be a, a lengthy layoff for uh, for poor Mark Davis. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, just to reiterate what you said there, Benno, uh, definitely, if you can support Mark, uh, you know, that'd be fantastic, like you say, because uh, they are, a lot of companies are just so reliant on them, and um, it will be interesting to see what Kyle Fletcher does do for these uh, for these months while, while Mark's out of action. But um, just heading out of here, um, Benno, um, obviously new Grapple Spotlight dropped, uh, dropped this week. Uh, what can people expect from the latest episode? Lord knows you can expect anything from us on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think this week we spent half the show talking about Rick Walsh. Apparently he's a hell of Jamesy. Uh, I learned that on the show. A great man. A great man. <laughs> Irish legend, I'm told. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking that and talked a bit more about Supermarket Sweep again. We just can't help ourselves. But as well as all that, we uh, we did some review. We've been doing reviews of uh, AW's Dynamite show, uh, which I'm very proud of. Uh, we talked uh, in a bit more detail about King of Pro Wrestling from New Japan. Um, we've also been talking uh, NXT each week, and I even managed to watch SmackDown for at least half of it uh, last week for the draft too. So we talked about that on Monday uh, slash Tuesday slash what turned into Wednesday. So. Yeah, we're not very reliable with the days, but hopefully it's a good entertaining show for everyone every week. So yeah, you can check that out if you search uh, at Grapple up on Twitter or search Grapple Noe uh, everywhere podcasts are sold. You'll uh, find that podcast roughly every Tuesday morning. James, I know uh, since Fighting Spirit magazine has uh, gone by the wayside, uh, have you have any plans to do any more writing for, for any sites or anything? Um, nothing on the horizon at the moment, but you know my, my DMs are always open. If anyone's willing to be willing to make an offer to me, I'm more than happy to listen. Um, yeah, at the moment, <laughs> just very very happy doing the podcast with you guys. And yeah, I, I actually I find the podcasting a lot more fulfilling than the writing in a way. Like it's kind of the writing is very much a you're kind of under pressure to do it, or you're you know you're, you're on a deadline. Whereas this just feels a bit more relaxed and kind of as I said, I can kind of I probably go on too much sometimes, but you can kind of talk about more a wider range of things. Whereas when you're writing, you're kind of very much stuck to a particular topic, or you may be reviewing a show that you don't particularly want to review. Sometimes it can be a bit of a drag <laughs> doing it. Sometimes you know, whereas we come on here and we kind of have a bit of freedom to talk about pretty much what we want. You know, so yeah, as I said, very very happy to be here with you guys, and that's my priority at the moment. Are you off to the OTT fifth anniversary show? I'll be there, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a, a double header, so we have that that show on the Saturday, and on the Sunday, then we have the all women's show, Defiant, as well. Like, and yeah, it, some a couple of pretty solid cards been put together for both those shows as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That fifth anniversary show looks absolutely fantastic, and uh, and obviously we moved to Fridays now. Our next show will be on the first of November, and we'll be talking that big OTT show and all the latest from European wrestling. So. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you then.